Welcome back to Scream Addicts, getting hammered with Hammer. I am Jinx, your host, and I'm sitting here. Well, kind of sitting here. We're, we're sitting. Right, Paul, are you sitting? I'm sitting. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Paul Farrell, my co-host. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Excellent. All right, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay, too. I did get an angry email from last week's episode. Christopher Nolan regrets to inform us that he will no longer be listening. Uh, oh, wow. he, he's That's not heavy. angry. He's not angry. He's just disappointed, Paul. Um. But yeah, you know, so we're going to miss him. The, the truth is hard to take sometimes. And I, we'll I feel for him. You know what? What he's pulling with Tenet right now and trying to get people back into theaters in the middle of the pandemic just to watch his movie on the big screen. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And fuck you too, Tom Cruise. Fuck you both. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm, so, Start, I'm sorry. But that, off, is, uh... that, that is pure. Have you seen? Okay. By this point, by the time I, this yeah, starts, it'll be old news. But Tom Cruise... In his, in his little ventilator mask, running around the streets of London so he can go see Tenet, you know, and he watches it. And, you know, it's like, hey, great. OK, so you're, you're trying to sway a bunch of people to possibly put their uh, health, you know, in harm's way to go see a movie on the big screen. Look, dude, I know you like movies. That's great. But, you know, hell, I love movies. I, I have two podcasts about movies. I, I guess on other podcasts I write about movies. Movies are my life pretty much. I am not recommending that anybody go to a damn theater. And here's some people pointed out to they were like, well, the UK handled it, you know, the entire thing much better than the US, which not for nothing. That's not a high fucking bar to set. But that doesn't mean that the UK is fully safe. But even if that were the case, Tom Cruise is the biggest movie star in the world. And that ad is airing everywhere, which means, you know, there are people who are watching it. Thinking like, well, hey, you know, if it's okay to watch it there, I'm sure I can pop over to my local AMC here in Florida and watch it with no repercussions whatsoever, which is just not the damn case. So to everybody who had a hand in crafting that ad, I kindly say go fuck yourselves. It, it, does, seem, it does seem irresponsible. I, I, I agree in, in a lot of ways. It, it's not the right call right now. And I, I think this year for all of its uh, shit storming has hopefully taught us a few things about what really matters in life. You know, that's what it's kind of done for me is it, it it's kind of caused me to take a step back and, and realize like what's important and, and movies are definitely similar to you. Uh, uh, my, one of my great loves, but at the end of the day, family comes first and our health should come first. And, there's other ways to watch movies, you know, and and I want to support the films that are uh, taking that lesson in stride and presenting options that may not be, you know, the most financially uh, intelligent thing for that film, but is the right thing to do, you know. It's a crazy um, time. People are going to have to adapt. It doesn't mean, and certainly, you know, I mean, I used to work at a movie theater and I used to hear my, you know, my boss and the region leaders grumble all the time about NATO and their fights with all of the studios because the studios wanted the theatrical windows to be shortened to practically nothing, you know, drop it in theaters for three weeks and then boom, we can throw it on home video and then just squeeze the life out of the movie as quickly as possible and then go on to our next thing, which of course is not a, uh, a great thing at all for theaters theater chains and undoubtedly they're going to take uh advantage of this 
uh, bastards that they are. And uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I mean, you know, deal with that fight later once the world goes back to normal. You know, you can you can start, you know, uh, going tooth and claw over all of that once people are no longer in harm's way. But, you know, to 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 try and save the theater industry by doing something as dodgy. You know, I, I have a buddy who is a GM of the theater up north who I mean, that's his livelihood. And yeah. even he is like, look, I don't want people coming back. You know, I don't want people getting sick. I don't want my kids, you know, his employees there. I don't want them getting sick. I don't want to get sick, you know? Yeah. Um. So, you know, it just, it, it bums me out to see somebody with the kind of reach and influence of a Tom Cruise or Christopher Nolan, you know, opening their arms wide and saying, you know, come on in, folks. It's fine. And I, I agree with you. Like, I, dude, I dearly love movies. I love the theatrical movie going experience. I would go to a movie theater three, four times a week. That's how I saw most movies. I probably watch more movies in theaters than I did here at home. But you know what I like better than movies? Breathing. <laughs> Breathing's pretty high up there. When Agreed. It comes to priorities. Agreed. That's, so, that, that ranks pretty high. So I don't know. To hell with them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bitter. Damn it. I saw that and it just it rubbed me the wrong way. Bitterness anyway, is a key component of getting hammered with hammer. I did. It by God is. <laughs> you think it's bad now? Wait till I. Oh, we're not even trying say, uh, Exactly. I got some shit to say about Tom Cruise in the back half of this podcast. Just throwing that out there. Oh, man. Now, anyway, this is getting hammered with hammer. Uh, Paul, we have already eaten about five minutes into our time. I apologize for that. I'll tell you what. Let's take about 10 minutes. Let's uh, have a couple of sips of this drink. We're going to go ahead and brace people for what we're doing tonight. But first, what have you seen this past week, horror-wise? Anything eyebrow-raising? Um, horror-wise, it's been a weird week for me. I've watched a lot of non-horror content. Um, I am going to mention one movie out, off the top that isn't horror, because that's kind of my MO. I feel like that's my 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 thing on this show, is i got to mention at least one that doesn't fit our, our theme. I watched Bill and Ted uh, Face the Music. Never heard of it. I know it's it's this uh, real small movie. Not a lot of people have ever heard of it. Um, a are they talking to... about it on Twitter? Because uh, I'm not on Twitter. Few people are. So no, uh, I grew up um, <laughs> pretty much obsessed with the two Bill and Ted movies. Uh, my brother and I, particularly actually the second one, um, uh, Bogus Journey. My brother and I had a VHS of that, and we watched it like on repeat ad nauseum. Um, I can you know, sort of recite the lines to that movie. So when I heard a new Bill and Ted was happening years ago, because this has been in the pipelines for a while, um, it was easily my most anticipated movie until it finally did come out. And speaking of celebrating studios and movies that are kind of acknowledging the danger that's out there, um, I absolutely love and think it's in keeping with its message that Bill and Ted Face the Music hit VOD. Uh, the day it was released um, and was immediately available to everyone everywhere, uh, regardless of whether you could go to a theater or felt comfortable going to a theater. Um, Which is the way to do it, yes, Tom absolutely. Cruise. Absolutely is the way to do it. And, I, you know, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. Everyone's talking about it. You can read reviews. I loved it. Um, I thought it was a perfect trilogy capper. I think it's completely in line uh, with the tone and thematics of the earlier films. I think unlike a lot of years later legacy sequels, it doesn't feel contrived. The characters feel organic, authentic to who they originally were. Um, I cannot say enough good things about this movie. Uh, so, and, and more, more than anything else, it's exactly the movie 
we need right now um, because it's about the sort of healing power uh, and, and unifying ability of art um, and how no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter where you are, you can be connected by art. <laughs> and it's as simple as that. And um, yeah, I just, it completely made my week. So I'd be remiss if I was talking about what I've been watching. And I didn't mention that movie. No. Hey, I, you know, it's funny. I loved the, uh, the first movie when I was a kid, I only saw the second one like once or twice. And for whatever reason, I never revisited the films over the years. I, uh, I like them. I just never rewatched them. So as much as I want to see the third one, I kind of feel like I need to go back and rewatch the first two before I dive into the third. Would you say that's fair or can I dive into the third one sight unseen? I think you could. Um, but I think personally, I think it would be much more rewarding if you watch the first two first. That's how I would look at it. Fair enough. I have not watched much in the way of horror this week. I uh, watched a new episode of Lovecraft Country, which is proving to be one of the best damn television shows on right now. We're three episodes in at the time of this recording, and oh my god, Paul, it's it. <laughs> every episode is a gem so far for so many reasons. If you're not watching it, please try and get around to it soon. Or, you know what, if you've held out for this long, just wait until all of the episodes have aired and then binge it, because that is that is the one maddening thing about it. And I appreciate the fact that HBO is wanting to do the serialized water cooler thing with the show, much like they did with Perry Mason, which also worked like gangbusters on me, but... I if you put all eight episodes down in front of me right now, I would I would I would be up until like the middle of the night watching them all at once. Like it is that damn good. So anyone out there, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Um, I I won't say much about it, but I did watch a movie on Shutter called Confessional. Have you heard of this? I haven't. It, it's it, it's a great idea. It's a fantastic setup. Um, basically, a group of college-age students are called to a location to hop into a soundproof booth and basically give their testimony on what happened to a couple of fellow students. We, we learn that they both died under mysterious circumstances. And we're given the, the time code for each student. So we understand that this all took place in one night. So the first character is at like 7 p.m., the next at 9, the next at, you know, 10, so on and so forth. And... But ultimately, it jumps around and tells like a chronological, you know, recounting of the events that led to the deaths of these two students amongst all of these different participants. And, you you know, not all of the people are reliable narrators. And so the stories start clashing and ultimately various motives start coming into play uh, as to why somebody might have wanted these two people dead. And then things start getting a little creepy and a little violent. And then you start wondering why these kids would show up there in the first place and who exactly is running this entire thing. And again, really neat setup. One location uh, for the oh, most okay. part. Like, it, you know, it's just in that damn booth with, uh, you know, a handful of cameras, which is great. The problem with it is, is that the writing is more often than not a little two on the nose and the dialogue is a little eh. and the performances are too, you know, if, if I'm watching like a laptop movie, like host or a found footage film, like the Blair Witch project, you know, I, I find that I can't forgive dodgy acting in those scenarios because in order to sell the world with those movies, you have to believe that they're real people hundred percent. 
Like no, you know, one bad performance or one dodgy performance would completely sink the entire thing. Uh, with confessional, there is more than one dodgy performance, and there is a lot of this. <laughs> it, it it feels like all of the characters are drama students, and they showed up prepped for this interview so they will not only stare into the camera directly before them giving an account of what's happened but they will turn dramatically to the camera to the right to deliver the last half of a sentence which underscores like a big twist or a big reveal and then you know and then from that they'll get kind of pensive and then they'll slowly turn to the camera to their left to deliver the other line it's like people come on like this and every character does that ball so oh wow that kind of great concept it's one of those movies like when you watch it you're just kind of like you know what i can't wait to see the remake uh but as it stands i can't necessarily say that i would recommend it even though you know hats off for uh you know again clever concept clever conceit um other than that the only other horror movie that i have to talk about and i'll pass this to you is a movie that you and i kind of sort of watched together paul what did we kind of sort of watch and tweet about this weekend uh, we kind of sort of watched Army of Darkness or Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness. It's the best. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were I-, I was drinking and you were drinking and uh, I was like, man, I don't know a movie to watch. And you're like, we should watch a movie together. And a live tweet was born. Um, As they always are at the last <laughs> possible moment when nobody yeah, else we're, can we're possibly the worst join in. Live tweet organizers there are in the world. Um, I actually reached out to a few people in DMs, like, "Hey, would you like to do like a, a drinking tweet along to Army of Darkness?" Sure. What are you doing it five minutes from now? <laughs> I said five minutes from now. Five. Mi- Hello. Mm-hmm. Hello. Anybody there? No. Nothing. Okay. Understandable. Um, no, that movie is like perfect in every way. And every time I see it, I love it more. Um, I mean, what is there to say about Army of Darkness that hasn't been said? But uh, I think there's at least one thing that's been said, which is uh, yeah, who flo- was it? OK, so it was myself and Paul and we roped in a uh, fellow horror fan and friend Christy Gersten to tweet along with us. And, and at she some was. Point- yeah, yeah. And hopefully we'll have her on here soon. Um but the idea was born at some point while watching this that Ash clearly must have a skeleton fetish of some sort. Oh, yeah. And now I will never be able to watch the movie this quite the same way again. Yeah. He's really into skeleton stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And you can, what's weird is, is that that idea, as funny as it sounds, is kind of borne out by some of the later events in the movie. Like, you know, with you know his relationship with Sheila kind of you know it's just there's there's some question marks yeah, there there are a lot of questions and uh it, it's worth exploring no I I love that movie I love just the boundless creativity that Sam Raimi has when it's completely untethered like it is in that film um I think it's the perfect evolution of Evil Dead to Evil Dead 2 to that like it, it just it kind of feels like it goes to its logical conclusion, which is just slapstick three stooges style humor mixed with (laughs) really fake Halloween store skeletons, you know, but, but with a level of cinematography, that's like way more shocking and impressive than a movie like that has any right to feature, you know, uh, it's, it's it's the fact that they're doing Harry housing kitsch, but with like, 
a universal like budget, you know, mm-hmm. like this is a big movie at times. It's it's the kind of movie you feel like a filmmaker got away with. You know, like like he tricked them into like you know, you watch it and you're like, man, this just feels like subversive from a from a foundational level. <laughs> Not Isn't just that in the what's case? happening in the film. With all of his studio movies, to an extent, like Darkman, Spider-Man, oh movies, Darkman, for sure. like you know, I you look at even the Spider-Man movies are you know they don't feel like, and I mean, what was a comic book movie then at that point? I mean, they were mostly all failures. Uh, I wouldn't say mostly. Well, no, I would say mostly. I'm just not saying they were all failures. But you know, with his Spider-Man one and two, those are movies that. He, he, much like Tim Burton's Batman movies are more Tim Burton movies than Batman movies, I feel like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies are more Sam Raimi movies than Spider-Man movies in a way, even though he got the character right and he nailed kind of like the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko era of that character. It still has his energy. It still has his wonkiness, you know, and I, yeah. I, I love that. And I feel like, you know, it's really interesting to me and maybe a little scary that he is directing Doctor Strange because... Uh, Part of I I by I want to see a Sam Raimi Doctor Strange movie. I don't want to see a Marvel Doctor Strange movie that Sam Raimi was hired on as like a hired gun for, and they they sand off all of his rough edges and they sort of hammer him into the the mold as it were. And I'm kind of afraid that that's what we might see. I submit to you uh, Oz the Great and Powerful as evidence for that theory, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I have my fingers crossed, but uh, but yeah, Army of Darkness. I I I adore it. That's great. Always a good time. All right, we are about eighteen minutes in. Paul, it's probably time for us to watch a damn movie. Now it is your turn this week. I'm not going to explain what the conceit of this show is anymore. This is what like episode five, probably. You know, people (laughs) probably know what's going on right now. It's your turn. So tell me or rather tell the audience, what drink did you choose? What are the ingredients and recipe? And most importantly, and perhaps most frighteningly, what is the drinking game this week? Okay. So, and I've mentioned this before, but I'm, I'm still kind of uh, getting, earning my, my chops when it comes to uh, hard alcohol drinks and things. So I had to do some research to come up with a drink that was appropriate and I found one uh, by the Jekyll and Hyde Club of Greenwich Village from 2015 <laughs> called the Sweet Poison Cocktail Recipe. Um, and it uh, uses some ingredients of things I already had. So full disclosure, that was a part of what I was looking for. Uh, it's light rum, coconut rum, blue caraco. Is that how you say that? Caracao? Curacao, maybe? Curacao, sure. Something? I I, I don't know. Uh, Ice and pineapple juice. And the final concoction is sort of a a green, greenish blue drink um, that I find quite delicious, actually. Um, Once I made it, I was very, very pleased with my choice um, because it it fits exactly into what I find tasty. but yeah, so it, and it kind of resembles uh, Doctor Jekyll's serum. So I feel like I'm kind of winning this whole thing right now. I'm doing a pretty it, good job here. It worked on several levels. I'll give you that. Yeah, I feel good <laughs> about this. Um, All right, so now to make this, I believe, is it 
see and we will we will put this in the show notes i'm sure we're going to throw it up on twitter too but i believe it's one ounce of light rum yes two ounces of coconut rum one ounce of blue um <laughs> and uh, that's how you pronounce it exactly yeah, Klatu, <laughs> Um, you didn't say all the words. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so, yeah, you mix that up, you pour it over ice, and then you top it off with pineapple juice, and you can garnish it with a slice of pineapple if you so choose. Yeah. All right, Paul, scare me. What's uh, What are the drinking game rules, sir? So I'm kind of going with some old classics for this one, just to kind of keep it simple. Um, and since my copy doesn't have subtitles, so I can't really do much with words. Uh <laughs> We're gonna do we're gonna do the standard uh, anytime up and down stairs. Uh, we're sure. going to again bring in the uh, really killer going in and out of rooms rule. That's kind oh. of one of my favorites. And uh, the one I'm, I I felt I had to introduce. I would have done like every time a name is said because there's a couple names that crop up a good amount. But instead, I'm gonna do anytime. Uh, there's dancing in the scene. So, and that, that includes, like, if a person stops dancing and then starts dancing again. Like, anytime a new person or group is shown dancing, uh, you have to drink. Holy shit. So, stairs? <laughs> entering stairs, and rooms? rooms? Dancing. It's only three rules. That's actually not bad. If you really think is- about it. That is entering and exiting rooms. Entering and exiting rooms. Yes. Holy shit. And dancing. <laughs> and dancing. Yeah. All right. It's, okay. not, it's not that bad. Don't worry. It's fine. We're going to be okay. Yeah, we said that before, Paul. This is our third week of rum drinks in a row. I feel at this point we probably know better, but we just don't care. I, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> All right, folks. One of these drinks here in a second. Oh, yeah, I I have, like, a lineup in front of me right now. It's, like, microphone and then, like, just glasses. So uh, so hopefully I won't have to make it yeah, anymore. I've got, but, my, uh, I've got my whole thing set up in front of me, so I'm good. All right, folks. So, uh, Paul and I, I believe, are watching the Mill Creek Blu-ray double feature, uh, The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll and The Gorgon. Obviously, choose The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. Uh, we're going to go ahead and line that up with uh, zero minutes, zero seconds in. Um, if you're watching the streaming somehow, just uh, just pause it right on the black before the film begins, and we'll do a countdown here. Are we ready? I am ready. All right. None of the listeners have said a damn thing, so that's disconcerting. It's anyway, so quiet. So, it's so quiet. Five, four, three, two, one, and play. And here we go. Uh, Columbia lady making a return. She's a good lady. Is she, though? I mean, I I guess I don't really know for sure. Uh, Just you're assuming. I I was. I was making kind of a broad assumption. Why? Why do you think, though? She just seems like she's got things together. She seems confident, for one. You're attracted Uh, to that torch, Paul. I didn't say I wasn't. All right, so this movie is called The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. And if I can say, just before I get too drunk to be even remotely articulate, how much I love that damn title. Because there's something 
that's a bit more honest about the two faces of Dr. Jekyll than Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, like I having a Mr. Hyde to blame sort of lets Jekyll off the hook a bit. Whereas the two faces of Dr. Jekyll acknowledges the real intent, I think, behind the original book, which I love. I think most people look at Jekyll and Hyde as kind of like a good versus evil story or maybe even a simple story of duality. Whereas, you know, in the book, and I don't think a lot of the film adaptations really, really play to this, but in the book, Jekyll's motivations are all for freeing himself of his, you know, repressed sexuality and consequences be damned. And so the fallout of Hyde's evil doing isn't yeah, ultimately so much on Hyde, I think, as it is on Dr. Jekyll. You know, both versions are Jekyll, regardless of what the unrestrained version of himself cares to go by. It's very true. Um, <clears throat> and I think this movie is, as you said in that description, a lot more interested in that idea. And that, that Jekyll is sort of the orchestrator of all of this. Yeah, it's it's... I mean, just to get right down to it, it's his fault. And I'm not sure that the other film versions want to take him to task as much as this one does. And as a result, I got to say, like, even though this is arguably not as faithful to the original text as some of the other uh, movies, you know, at least plot wise, I think thematically this one kind of gets Stevenson's story in a way. And I, you know, I'll go ahead and say this is my favorite version of this tale. Like I, I love the Frederick March version. I even kind of like, I mean, Mary Riley is kind of dodgy, but I love Malkovich in it. You know, uh, there are some great, the Barrymore version is weird as hell, but you know, suitably creepy, but I, for all of the various versions of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, this, this one, this one, I think nails it. I, I, I love it. It's easily my favorite. And I, that goes beyond me simply being a hammer fan. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I agree. I think it's one like this was a first time watch for me. Um, and I was really blown away by how it handles the character. Um, I, I particularly like, I mean, you know, the scene we're watching right now with the, with the, with the mute children kind of playing in his garden and, and sort of that perceived kindness that Jekyll has and the impact it has on the little girl and how oblivious he is to sort of the good he could potentially do um, with his intellect and his wealth um, and and how he's sort of blinded to the rest of the world and, and again to the power of his current persona in the pursuit of some perfect version of himself um, or mankind in general. But it does boil down to him. Like he's a self again, like most doctors in movies like this, he's self-centered, but he sort of convinces himself that he isn't. Okay. So they did enter a room. I'm going to try and be better about not interrupting, uh, in the middle of a thought and I'll just sort of bank the drinks and then let you know how, how would that work this week? Because that's uh, fair. Although I think I know part we... of it is really fun when we're both like really drunk to interrupt one another, like in the middle of our thoughts. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, maybe, yes. maybe that's a rule that'll go away after a while, but no, I, I agree with you. I, but again, like this, this is a guy who I, I think for all of his genius, it all boils down to the fact that he's, he's repressed and you know, I, I, and as in this version's case, like his marriage is bad, you yeah. know? And, um, that's I, true. I mean, you know, his wife's getting taken by Christopher Lee, you know, it's, 
which I mean, I get it. it what, it's what else can you do by by that point? Well, we'll again, yeah, like uh, the fact that he's married to, uh, by all accounts, a very beautiful woman that he doesn't get to sort of like share mar- his marital bed with, and he's obviously very. Um, upset about that but he but as he is he doesn't know how to express it or fix it so he just doesn't try um and and his way of trying to fix it is to find this better version of himself who wouldn't stand for it or would make it better um but but it's it to me that's the metaphor right it's him drawing out the the anger he's repressed and letting it take over um you know, as but evidence. don't you think it is curious that he is presented though as being kind of an outlier in the society? Because in 1874, like it just feels like that should be the norm. So to me, like you know, watching this movie, yeah, the film is set in 1874, and our Jekyll is a man of 1874. But it also feels like a lot of the other characters are set solidly in 1960 when this film was made. You know, there's something. Yeah more progressive about the rest of the characters. And it seems like Jekyll is the only man who is kind of solidly of that time. Well, I think he's clinging to an ideology um, that is on the cusp of changing in a way um, in, in society around him. And people sort of suffer him that because of his genius Right. Like a lot of people in this movie keep going like he's he's really a genius. Like if we can just get him past whatever this obsession is like we you know, he could do good. He could do good for this world. So they sort of like allow his idiosyncrasies because they think, oh, well, this is just something he's got to get out of his system and how the guy. But there are a lot of backwards ideas in it. Like his friend there is kind of like, oh, you know, you're what let your wife help you. You know what this is doing to your wife. You know, and what he means by that is basically, you know, she's a woman. A woman will make you feel better, you know, go to her um, and and don't worry about your work so much. And okay, do you think that's the case? So do you think if Jekyll had just gotten laid, then maybe he wouldn't have created that formula? Honestly, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> OK, maybe not like he wouldn't do it at all. But I do think it would have went a long way i mean as because again if you look at hyde comes out what's the first thing hyde does he goes to try to get laid (laughs) that's that's his primary goal and that's why that's why i love this version of it because that to me is again it's not good and evil it's not black and white it's i mean there's dr jekyll and there's his raging heart on mr hyde that is fair this this part, my wife and I were talking about what unfortunate thing they probably did to that poor animal to get him to act like that. <laughs> I don't know, I'd like to think that Christopher Lee was just off screen antagonizing it in like Count Dracula's costume. It amuses Maybe. me to think so. That's possible. I love Chris, I, Christopher Lee isn't in the movie yet, but can I just say I love him in this? He's so good. I, he's brilliant. I can't wait to talk more about him at length because, my God, the man really starts to show like his abilities as an actor. With this. Not that he didn't before, but this is the movie where it sort of sets up that, hey, this is an actor of range. This isn't merely like uh, a guy you slap some makeup on, you know, or give a handful of lines and let his charm sort of, you know, win the day like with Dracula. And I love his Dracula, but they don't give him a hell of a lot to do in that film. Whereas in this movie, like he is given a fully rounded, you know, admittedly a cad of a character to play. 
And, you know, I, in the space of, what, three years, he played Frankenstein's monster, he played Count Dracula, played the mummy, and then played Paul Fregan Allen in this movie. And he nailed every single one of them. They couldn't be more different from one another. And I love, too, in this, in this version, I love that Jekyll is kind of... <laughs> He's he's kind of this relatively unattractive version of the character, whereas the Unleashed Hyde, you know, we're we're used to Jekyll and Hyde stories like Jekyll is the normal guy, and then Hyde, when he comes out, is the monster, right? And I love that in this one, Jekyll is the one under makeup in a way, you know, with that awful plastered beard, and uh, (laughs) he's the unattractive version, whereas the Unleashed Hyde is kind of a far more handsome, unattractive character. And, you know, he... And I kind of love that he doesn't merely rampage about you know he uses his attractiveness to sort of live out jekyll eh, jekyll's inner fantasies and i i i it's such a smart take on this story i think and surprising in a way because you know up until this point there weren't that many film versions of this tale so to have gotten to a place where it's you know, in a way, it's faithful, but also in a way, it's kind of like a deconstructed take on that story, too. And I, I, I think it's brilliant for that. Yeah. my uh, I watched this movie with my kids. Um, and by the way, my nine-year-old loved it. She thought it was awesome. Nice. Uh, <laughs> You're creating a hammer kid already. That's Oh, amazing. she loved it. I actually i am going to show her more hammer now. She's like, do you have more movies like that? I really? She was like really fascinated by by it. Um but uh, she said that she thought Dr. Jekyll looked like a Muppet. <laughs> like, she's like, he looks like a Muppet. And I was like, that is an interesting observation. <laughs> like with his... She's not wrong. Yeah, he looks fucking weird. But um, I do know that the original intention was for Paul Massey to only play Hyde. And they were going to get like an older, different actor to do Jekyll. It was going to be two different actors. And... I think I don't know why it went to Paul Massey. I don't know if he convinced them or what it was, but it was. I know the intention was two actors. I, you know, I. Part of me likes that idea, and I think it might have been more successful than what we have because it's his hide is such a natural performance for yes. him. Yeah, it really is. Whereas yeah. his Jekyll is obviously kind of, and uh, part of that's a character and I'm sure it was a choice, but it just seems so forced and so affected a performance yeah. that, you know, it's, it, it, it kind of serves to take you out of the movie a little bit. So if that had been a completely different actor, I, I think it might've been a little more successful. And yet there's something charming about the fact that it's the same guy. You know, I will admit, I kind of always wanted to see his beard fall out during his transformation. Just <laughs> all at once, you know, just yeah. tufts of hair, you know. I, uh, and I, sorry to interrupt, but I, I would, we have to just quickly mention, this was the first scene where we saw Christopher Lee and Don Adams. And I love how it's shot, like the disdain between them as they're getting closer and closer and the shots are getting tighter and tighter until they finally kiss and embrace. And the sexual t- tension between them is like palpable. That's such a great, perfect way to represent the contentiousness of their relationship. And she just entered a room. Yeah. Well, you see her. So this is a good scene, too, because she's so like, look at her. She's vibrant, vivacious, her her hair, her blue dress. And then you look at Jekyll and he's just this like sort of withered looking aging man who just doesn't fit with her in her world. And they dress him like a Puritan. I know. Yeah. He looks like a freaking pilgrim. Like, 
it, it, it's they could not be farther apart. Look and at that she, beautiful lighting. Like yes, oh, the fact that she is wearing blue and he is yes. just monochromatic and, and, and how black it, and white, but he turns into like this little blue key light, you know, that links yeah, into her. It's just so smart. Well, she's casting a light upon him and off like she she's always been there and offer to him in a way that he has opted not to ever sort of pursue. And and one sort of assumes that it's driven her to the arms of someone like Christopher Lee, because he, he offers her everything that Jekyll doesn't, right? Like he offers her excitement. Sometimes that excitement is accompanied by sort of negative emotion um, and, and arguments, but, but at least that's fire, you know, at least that's something. And she's, I think, grown to be attracted to that, to where now she sort of requires it because the life with her husband has been so unexciting. I agree. And I think. Also, there was a lot of leaving and entering rooms and stuff in the last couple of scenes that we just kind of glossed over. Okay. How many, how many drinks do you think the ketchup? Should we say four? I think four is. Really? Okay. I mean, she, Yeah. yeah, I'd say four. Shit, Paul. All right. Hang on. I'm just okay, but yeah. you know, I, I think it's such an interesting choice to refuse to make Kitty like this shrieking Harridan character. It could like it could have been so easy for them to simply make her like cartoonishly evil, you know, like the adulterous wife yes, who's seeing agreed. his friend behind his back. And I love that they don't. She's a far yeah. more layered character than that. And it yeah. isn't easy to hate her. You know, I, I at no point do I hate the character, even though like I it's she is such a well-rounded character in a story that didn't necessarily require her to be. And I'm glad that they took that extra step to actually make her three dimensional and to give her a life beyond, you know, uh, uh her service to the story as it were. Agreed. Yeah. She's, she's very nuanced and it wasn't what I expected when the film began. You know, when I, when I first saw that she was having a a relationship with Christopher Lee's character, I was like, Oh, okay. So she's sort of villainous and she isn't in a lot of ways. It's not, I, I see it as not really being her fault. You know, she's been saddled with this guy that shows almost no interest in her. And now when he starts to kind of flicker a little bit of interest, it's kind of too late. She's already not in love with him anymore. Do you Uh, wonder how they ever got together in the first place, though? Yeah, I mean, a part of me thinks, well, and and again, it was a different time. He's a man of wealth. I would imagine that she was sort of, uh, he, he, he was an eligible bachelor and he had his options and he chose her because that was probably encouraged by their families and whatnot. And, and people would just sort of, okay, well, we'll grow into this and we'll love each other because that's sort of what we do. And then he just never opened to her. Um, and she lived this wealthy, lonely life until she met, you know, again, Christopher Lee, who was sort of a scoundrel, but offered her that part of her life that she had been missing. And what I like is I think that subtext is sort of present in the movie in a way, um, not directly, but in the character interactions and in sort of the world building. 
Look at him. Just look at how he carries himself. He's look so at how debonair. How oh, by the way, dancing. There's dancing. Ah, shit. But yeah, no, he's he's such a charming Cadmus. And again, I love that this movie really more so. I whoever looks back at Hammer horror films and thinks of Paul Allen as being this iconic character. He simply isn't. He's nowhere on the level of recognition of a Count Dracula or Frankenstein's monster or even the mummy. But this is the role that should have signaled to everybody that this actor was capable of so much more than simply lumbering about. Now, here's the thing. I think his performances in The Mummy and uh, uh, Curse of Frankenstein, they go far beyond simply lumbering about under makeup. Like there is there are fully formed characters that he created for each of those men. But this is surely the most, most verbose he's been in a Hammer film up until this point. And again, playing a character that's completely divorced from everything that he played before. And I love that Hammer gave him that opportunity. And I, I love that he nailed it so much. I mean, you look at something like I, I, I think he said his favorite film that he ever did was The Wicker Man. And honestly, I think that's probably his greatest performance. Lord Summer Isles is just the best. You look at Frankenstein's monster, uh, the mummy, Count Dracula, uh, anything, honestly, he had done up until the 70s, up until the point of The Wicker Man. I don't know that any of them would have hinted at what he was capable of with Lord Summer Isle other than Paul Allen. You know, the guy who is obviously not a good man, but he's just so damn charming. Yeah. I like that, by the way. The first time we see his handwriting is changed. I think that's a really good uh, story, con- like visual conceit uh, to signify change. I like that a lot. Oh, very he- smart. And to his credit, like his body language has changed. You know, yep. he's... There's a little yeah, more and like not step. showing his face. Yeah, it's very and it's it's fun, you know, for a serious sort of heavy kind of heady movie, uh, which this is in a way that that was kind of a fun way to show the change. Um, and my God, this sort of ripped oh, this grin so that he good. pulls anytime that he feels particularly evil. I just. Yeah, look at that. It's it's such it's it's not it's the last. I mean, I got to be honest. Again, I just watched this for the first time. It was the last thing I was expecting. I knew nothing about this movie. I didn't know, you know, the changes it made. I didn't I didn't know what to expect. So when I saw that, I was I was delighted. I was like, oh, this is going to be a very different uh, take on the Jekyll tale. By the way, Jekyll or I'm sorry, Hyde left. And people just entered. So that's two yeah. drinks. And he's about to enter a building, I think. Nah, he is the bastard. We'll get, we'll wait till he enters, but but I think we could probably presuppose. Oh, but I love that that he's in a building. I think. Mm. And people dancing. dancing. Yep. But I love that you know. Obviously, we know that if he's playing Hyde, he's going to be evil. I'm sure audiences knew by this point too what the deal was. And yet, I love that his. Smile like that big grin. That All he read alert. All read alert. Sorry. No, that's I love these things <laughs> so damn young. But not only to me, his grin at first doesn't merely signal that he's necessarily evil. He also looks like a guy who is newborn and is just loving life and is loving being yeah. out on the town and taking everything in. Yeah, he's practically giddy. Um, and like the, like women sort of hitting on him 
immediately sort of confirms what he probably had assumed and also validates what he's done. This is the ultimate midlife crisis for a character in any movie ever. Right. Also, he's, he's dancing now. He just started dancing. So shit. Yeah. The dancing is going to be a thing. Look at her hat. That's a really big bow. Is that a bow on top of her hat? I don't know what the hell it is, but it's, that's, that's a choice. It's definitely a choice. Um, How the hell is he even looking at her face with that thing on her head? Uh, well, I guess this is in the 60s. This is the late 1870s, so I can't to really paraphrase, To paraphrase, like, once upon a time in Hollywood, I imagine that director just, show me where 1874 meets 1964. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But that happens a lot in Hammer movies. <laughs> Not just with the costumes, I think with the characters, with the dialogue. I mean, at a certain point, you're kind of glad that they're just like, you know what? Let's just set the damn movies in the 70s. (laughs) Yep. And that's why we got such great Dracula entries, because they jumped to the 70s. That was one of the best movies. By God, I will fight for AD 1972's honor. That's a fun-ass movie. (laughs) Satanic rights? Okay, fine. Maybe not so much. But... Uh, Seven Golden Vampires is pretty solid too. Oh, that movie's fantastic! Could you imagine if Lee had shown up in that one just for a little bit, I, just around that series? That's up. the only part of that movie I don't like. I mean, I get it. I get why he was done at that point, but man, like, can we just point what? out? Sorry, I know you're talking. I feel bad now. Um, how great Lee is when he's being drunk. Like the <laughs> drunk Paul Allen is hilarious. I, I would drink with Christopher Lee. Still. Oh, well, yeah, of course. If Christopher was like, hey, you want to go get hammered? I was like, yeah, um, yeah, I would. Absolutely. Yes. You know. Plus, you know, can we just say this for a second? Paul Allen. Do you think Brett Easton Ellis had seen this movie? Was he a fan of this movie? I got to believe so. I mean, I just I I I in some wonderful alternate universe, I want to believe that like Patrick Bateman axed Christopher Lee's Paul Allen to death to Huey Lewis. <laughs> I believe it. I'd watch the hell out of that scene. Just I, throwing that out there. No, he's marvelous. He really is. And honestly, all of the acting is top shelf in this film. Um, and that's too like by this point, you know, we could marvel at the early entries uh, with Hammer, you know, with Curse and Horror and Revenge and The Mummy. The fact that they were able to do so much on smaller budgets, but by this point they were actually getting somewhat larger budgets. And what's such a damn shame, I hadn't realized this, but I looked it up. Apparently this movie was a failure. Like it lost oh, a yeah. of money. And which is such a bummer because this to me feels like, and look, I'm not knocking any of the movies that we've talked about up until this point. Point in fact, I actually adore them. But this to me feels like they were actually starting to step out and do something a little different, a little more grown up, a little adult. Oh, he just started dancing. Sorry, yes, he did. I know he said he said the rule to not interrupt. I'm I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> Sorry, Forgive me. Continue. Continue. We're we're, we're right. enough drinks in. It's cool. Um, but no, I you know they were starting to do something. They were breaking out of their comfort zone a little bit. This is not a remake of any Universal movie. Not really. Like the what they've chosen to do. Like and plus the themes that they were sort of wrestling with are certainly a little heavier than anything they'd done up until this point. And it's a shame that they weren't rewarded for it. In fact, they were punished for it. And I'm wondering if that sort of set them back a little bit. Now, 
loads of movies that follow in this film's wake are our favorites and are marvelous and are wonderful. But I wonder what Hammer's output would have looked like after this movie if they continued in that direction and if they'd, you know, if they'd wrestled with themes that were a little more weighty, you know, if they had sort of brushed up against more adult content, you know what I mean? Rather than just, you know, I mean, I think after this point, you know, when it comes to adult content and Hammer films, I mean, it's simply uh, Hammer glamour. You know, it's women in low-cut dresses. That's about as far as they were willing to go. But... I, I, I don't know. I kind of wish this movie had been successful and had rewarded them for trying to do something a little different. I agree. I mean, I, I was going to say, and you kind of already touched on it, th- this feels like one of Hammer's most mature movies. Um, and it doesn't really fall back on grotesquerie like some of the other ones do. It really stays in the head of the character and pursues that character's dilemma um, straight through to its end Um, and everything else acts as a foil to that character. It shares a lot of DNA with what I think the curse of Frankenstein is exploring, but with a character that is obviously more, you know, (laughs) fractured (laughs) in, in obvious ways, but in also more subtle ways. And I do agree, like, you you read the reviews for this movie, and they're abysmal. People hated this movie. They thought it was... And, and, and again, even with... For me, I think this is one of its most reserved films when it comes to, like, violence. I mean, there's some sexuality in it with the dancing scene with the woman with the snake, but nothing, like, crazy. But, like, even the BBFC, like, went crazy over this movie, which makes me believe that they just decided Hammer was bad, and they were going to attack anything Hammer did. Um... But yeah, I think yeah, it, was, movie... it was the same with like comic books and like Frederick Wortham and the comics code and all of that bullshit. It's, like it's they felt so they had to save stupid. audiences. Yeah, like they, they made them. There's like stuff that was cut from this movie that still isn't available, you know, and that's one thing with some of these releases. Like, I really hope that some of these films and I don't know if that footage still exists, but there are scenes from this film that like got cut back then and just never saw the light of day. Um, which honestly is kind of surprising given that well, that's such a good, you know, some of the stuff that we see, you know, in this movie, like honestly the, and you know, we don't have to give it up before it actually happens, but like the, the sequence with Kitty near the end, like that whole thing is really disturbing and not what you expect out of like a hammer film. And uh, he entered the bedroom just now. Yes, he did. And again, I just want to say, like, it is interesting. She's not playing a character who is malicious. She doesn't hate her husband. Like, she's not gleeful about the fact that she is sneaking around behind his back. Like, she's somebody who is obviously conflicted and who respects her husband. But, you know, it's just, again, I I, I love that shading. I love the fact that she isn't merely villainous in it and i well and such a smart choice and she's she's also not in love with him you know and that's that's sort of the tragedy is she do you get the feeling she loves him though she she loves him but she's not in love with him uh, well okay all right sure sure (laughs) cares about him loves him not in love whatever you want to say it but she she's not romantically interested in him Right, like as evidenced by right here. Yeah, 
where he's kind of like, and he's crying, which is a, which is a deeply personal moment for this character. I mean, like horror movies don't often allow characters, especially back then, especially movies that were considered sleazy as this one was for some reason, which is, crazy. Um, which is crazy. But like, I mean, how do you call a movie sleazy when you literally have this guy who's with his sort of relatively estranged wife, like trying to connect with her romantically crying. And she's like, I'm just not in the mood, but that's code for we we're not really that way anymore, honey. You know, like this isn't, that's not what we are. And she's trying to tell him that without telling him that. Um, and and to me, that's the moment where he decides to go full tilt into that other version of himself that, that has confidence, that believes in himself, that is capable of experiencing pleasure. You know, whether that be uh, uh, socially or physically. So all that said, do you, you know, and for everything that I said up until this point about like everything being Jekyll's fault, which it is, I'm not letting him off the hook there, but. Oh, it's his fault. I, I do sympathize <laughs> with him greatly. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, creating a sympathetic character to me isn't always about what the character does. It's more about how the character's written and, and what the director or script decides to show us of the character right so characters can do really reprehensible things but if we see certain humanizing moments um or understand aspects about themselves that that are deeply relatable we're gonna just naturally feel emotion towards them because we are hopefully good people and that's what a good person does they feel empathy there um, is absolutely no subtext to this whatsoever. <laughs> this was the the big sex scene. Well, sex, quote unquote. One of them that the BBFC was very unhappy with. What? Oh, she's the one who's dancing with the snake. That's Yeah, there's nothing weird about that. Huh. The snake represents nothing phallic, certainly. Not even when she, uh, well, we'll see. Oh, by, by the, the way, way she, she is dancing. Yeah, so. I was just about to say. See, I'm trying to pay attention to the rules, too. I'm trying to help. I like how the whole time Christopher's like, yeah, 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 you, you, you're not going to get anywhere with her. Trust me. Like, he's like, I've tried, <laughs> and if I can't do it, you're not going to be able to do it. I like her though because she's sort of, to me, she represents the same sort of id that uh, Hyde does, right? Like. She's kind of the female version of Hyde. She goes out and does what she wants to do. She's overtly sexual. She she takes what she wants, so to speak, in her own words. Um, and she's attracted to that same persona, which is incredibly rare. Um, yeah, she's even, tailor-made for him. Right, was... right, exactly. Which is Which is why, in a way, it's a little tragic that he doesn't embrace that more. Because I think had he embraced that, like, we're done, right? Everybody's happy. <laughs> How far from this would Kitty have been if she had taken Jekyll's serum, do you think? Ooh. So you're asking, like, what does Kitty's hide look like? Yeah, so... because in a way she's almost, 
Kitty already has her own hide. Like she's already embracing that she thinks, but you know, if, if you pushed her further, would she, I mean, I'm not saying, Hey, would she be a belly dancer? But yeah, um, well, I think know, she'd leave Jekyll. I think that's a key component. I think, I think her hide would be more like completely claiming the agency. She sort of thinks she has. And maybe, maybe rejecting Paul, because as much as she loves Paul, like Paul is horrible for her. (laughs) There is no subtext to this whatsoever. Yeah. When when my girls watch this, (laughs) children, people at home, I, I'm a bad person. Um, I just want to point out when my, my my kids watch this, they were both like that poor snake. They were really concerned about the snake. They were very worried she was going to like bite the snake. <laughs> okay, so like 10, 15 years from now, do you think like even ten years from now, if if you have successfully sold them on Hammer movies, are they, what does that moment look like? Do you imagine when they watch rewatch that scene and realize like oh. They're this gonna, is... they're gonna say, "I can't believe you let me watch that." <laughs> you know, you're sick. <laughs> no, I, I, they've seen. They're, they're. I mean, a lot of that stuff goes over kids' heads, right? And then, really, what they're paying att- attention to is more the plot beats, and they don't, you know, they turn which, away at the kissing parts. Which is why they this don't movie like isn't sleazy. Like it's. You know, everything is subtle. Everything is suggested. Everything It is an adult film, and yet... And it means something. Like, there's a purpose. Like, sleazy is is that without purpose, right? It, it's, it's a woman in a low-cut dress, you know, flirting with a guy for absolutely no reason. Um, it's not servicing the story at all. Whereas that scene is, like, integral to the story. I mean, this is setting up the whole final act. I think I think when Hyde is with her, he sees not just somebody that he can kind of, um, you know, get his carnal desires excised with. He also sees an opportunity. Yeah, and I love that he he's kind of... Could you say he's met his match in a way? Because he does try and push, like, the overly confident, you know, like, shtick with her. But at the same way, like, he's obviously drawn to her because she is, uh, in that entire room, she is the only woman who caught his eye, and for a very obvious reason. Uh, They both just entered that room. That's two people entering a room. Uh, So is that two drinks? Is that what you're telling me? That's two. That's two. Damn it, Paul. Um... You're right. And and what I find interesting about that is it's the exact same strategy he attempted to use on Kitty. Um, the same level of confidence, like, like, let's have an affair, you know, and it didn't really work with Kitty. Um, so to see it now working, it, again, it, it acts as a level of validation to him to Hyde and Jekyll, because I think every time Hyde is validated, in a way, Jekyll is, too, oh, totally. um, even if Jekyll doesn't want to admit it. Every every win for Hyde is a win for Jekyll, even if you can't yeah, appreciate it. Because Jekyll's in there. Um, and I think that that bolsters his resolve to continue down the path that, that he's heading. Um, 
And I, I have to say, when I saw this, I was absolutely shocked that the Nutty Professor was not an original concept. <laughs> I was like, I have been lied to first by Eddie Murphy, because I that was the age I was. That was the first version of that I saw. And then by Jerry Lewis. Because <laughs> this predates that movie. Yeah, I you know, there's something about Hyde's reasoning to here. Like I and maybe this is going like too deep, but I wonder like if there isn't some like sort of like incel logic on the part of Hyde in this film. You know, the Absolutely. the the idea that all women want to be treated like shit by alpha males, and that's why they won't choose me, you know, is totally an incel mantra, you know. But that yep. that's that said, those women do surely exist, which is a fact often left out of the conversation when taking well-deserved pot shots at the incel group. But what's interesting about Hyde's ideas in this film isn't, you know, it isn't really borne out by the women in this film. Kitty isn't so simple, nor is Maria here, I don't think. And I, I you know, my hat's off to the film for, again, treating them as, you know, real three-dimensional characters rather than simply existing to... Yeah, serve the Jekyll and Hyde characters in the film. Yeah, far be it for me to. Yeah, I mean, I a hundred percent agree that that there are incel sort of thematics at play within Jekyll and Hyde. Um, what I will say is, I think, like you said, both women um, in, in this film uh, have agency for the most part, are acting on their desires and their needs. Um, I think Kitty is a little beaten down, well, more than a little by the patriarchy and has less agency than she maybe thinks or tells herself that she does. Um, But that's at the fault of sort of the world she's living in. And she's, but she's doing the most she can for herself, given her circumstances. And I kind of have to fucking respect her for that. And never in a way that's cool. Like she, again, she isn't a malicious person. I don't no. think, which is again, no, such a smart I, I on this. really, I walk away from this movie really liking Kitty. I'm not going to lie. Like, which, which seems counterintuitive given how, it, how it starts, but I walk away feeling like she is a, a, a person who deserves better and is doing the best she can for her own life, for her own mental state. And they don't have kids, you know, she's not screwing over not that that would make her happiness any less valid or worth pursuing but i think it would complicate things especially back then um also like the maid entered and left the room and then he entered the room so that's three drinks ah shit okay ball so we are like what about halfway through this is usually when the uh, conversation turns uh well it just turns uh so i, I got to ask oh Okay. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. Go <laughs> I was going to say I'm kind of proud of us because I feel like for the first time in a while we're actually doing a commentary. We're talking <laughs> about the damn movie. You, listeners, like we kind of—if you haven't rated and reviewed this podcast, <laughs> this is the episode to review. <laughs> are we actually giving a commentary? Yes, we are, and I'd say our insight has not been bad. I, I think it's been apt given the circumstances sorry you, now you can say your thing i just yeah, wanted we're, to we're, comment we're, that. Fine. we're at it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i was gonna say like looking at jekyll so you know if you found yourself in jekyll's but I, I, forget that not even jekyll's position let's just say yeah given jekyll's point of view 
and sure. why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Posing that question to anybody, I, uh, I'll ask you, and you can ask me in turn if you'd like. Would you prefer to be a good man or what Jekyll would see as a free man? You know, would you prefer to be Jekyll in this instance or Hyde if you had to choose solely between the two? Interesting. So, so I have to pick between the characters on the screen, is what you're yes. saying. Yeah, you, you that know, would I be? You you can't uh, muddy. There can't be gray. <laughs> I mean, they're the same guy, though. Are they? Okay. Well, but, Jekyll but, is opting but there are variations to on... Jekyll. I guess, I guess you could argue that Jekyll, when he initially releases Hyde, did, like didn't know what was going to happen, and, and then once he does release him, he can't like control him or whatever. Uh, from a like a human being standpoint, or from a, a what would be more entertaining in a like in a temporary sort of like movie standpoint, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> obviously it's going to be a lot more fun. Well, I I mean I think if I'm actually me and I'm transported into one of these dudes, I just think like my conscience would I couldn't jump into somebody who's like straight up murdering and like kind of date no, raping yeah, yeah people true, true, true. Like, okay, i just so don't I even, think yeah. i could go that route i just okay even even in a broad sense like when we say jekyll and hyde then would you prefer to be jekyll paul or hyde paul uh like okay so now it's me like do i think there's some sort of inner repressed version of me that would I don't know. I I don't know. I, I, I think it's a hard question. I think it, it, it the, the problem with the question is it boils down to do you think you're somebody who has enough sort of repressed desires that and I'm sure we I, I guess all of us as a as human beings like probably have some sort of inner id that we all hold back. I think I'd want to be Jekyll. I don't think I'd want to be unhinged to the point where I would just do whatever carnal thing that my mind immediately jumped to because the, of the harm that that would more than likely cause other people. Cause ultimately you're not always going to be just one of them. And the minute you're somebody with a conscience again, you have to live with the, with what the other person did. And that would always outweigh fun, I guess that the other thing might bring me. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I, I guess, you know, the problem was complicated by the fact that we know where Hyde wins, winds up, you know, even in the story. You know, it, I would say almost if you took the first hour of the movie and then posed that question where this is a guy who is just living freely, you know, but ultimately, like, it goes bad and he winds up strangling and, you know, uh, all sorts of <laughs> other horrible things. Yeah, and, you know, if, if you lot. go back to... Yes, he does. And if you go back to Stevenson, like even his hide is like, you know, trampling little girls and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, no, that's not the question I'm necessarily posing. What I'm posing is, is like, if you had the ability to free yourself of your persona for even a night or for a handful of nights, you know, would you do it? I, you know, I, we all know what we should say. You know, like, but I, 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 I see the attractiveness of being Hyde for Jekyll, and I think he's roundly punished for it. Uh, you know, it's funny that well, you said what you said just a second ago, simply because, you know, I'm looking at Jekyll on screen right now. I'm not seeing much in the way of regret. 
And he hasn't done anything, you know, as as horrific as murder yet. No, but he oh, he, he still he just got laid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's probably feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, I mean, nothing really bad has happened yet. I I mean, other than him sort of realizing that his wife doesn't love love him anymore. Okay, can we and, just talk for a second about Christopher Lee's damn coat here? Mm-hmm. Look at him. Look at that clothes horse. It's a, it's a hell of a thing right there, man. Uh, he, I, just, he just entered too, didn't he? Yeah, and... and or exited. Somebody walked I think, out of I think Dawn Adams is one of my favorite actresses. Like, I think this is one of my favorite performances like in a Hammer horror film. I really like her in this. What else has she done? I'm sorry to say that I don't really know much about her. I I, I didn't. This is uh, this is again our our brilliant commentary insights. I don't know. That's she. Okay, I, I'm looking I, up. I she, Adams, but I love her in this movie. She died at 54. She died in 1985 at the age of 54. That sucks. She was in the Thousand Eyes of Doctor Mabuse. Uh, Come fly with me. The Black Tulip, where the bullets fly. The Vampire Lovers. She was the Countess oh. of that. And she, she was in Yes, okay. I knew she was familiar. Inez in The Vault of Horror in uh, the segment This Trick or Kill. Oh my god, she is in Vault of Horror. Holy shit. The Amicus movie. She died of cancer. That's fucking sucks. Speaking mm. of which, as we record this, uh, it's only been, what, two days since we were told that Chadwick Boseman unexpectedly yeah, that... passed away of cancer, which is really fucked up man like i that hit me hard i was just i because that is the last thing that you expect is somebody on top who plays a fucking superhero who just led a billion dollar making movie a couple of years ago to just pass away i and it goes to show you that we're it's a very a very humbling lesson about humanity and our fragility right like and, and and the nature of celebrity, um, I think the general public sees movies, and we see these people in movies who are beautiful people, right? Like that—that's who gets put in movies are, are beautiful, strong, you know, people who are, are positioned in roles defined often by that strength and beauty, and whether that's good or bad or not. I mean, especially in mainstream movies. And there's a certain level of um, untouchability that goes with that, of invulnerability, of immortality. Um, yeah, Black Panther is invisible. Why to shouldn't the guy who played him be? You know, like, I mean, yeah, kind of. You know, at least to the to the unthinking or unscrupulous mind, which most of us approach Marvel movies with at this point. I think. Um, Anyway, don't don't you get Marty Scorsese on I, me, Paul? I just don't saying, you do I'm it. Not, no, I'm not using Ch- Chadwick Boseman's death as like a segue into don't, like. Don't you be 1980s comic is rolling up a I, comic book and shaking make, his kid. Like I'm trying to make an emotional point here, and you just ruined it. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, at any rate, no, I. But I think you see this, and you see what happened, and that here was a person, a human being. Right. Not some big superhero who acted in a movie about superheroes 
and used his celebrity to better the planet while he had time. And he knew that he Knowing was dying. That his time was running out. Yeah. He, knew he was dying the entire time. And still, he didn't wallow in that. He fought the fight and he used his time to, to visit hospitals and talk to children and further black representation in cinema and gave, uh, gave an audience a hero to look up to that they had never gotten before. Right. A, a black superhero in a black superhero film creating a franchise. Cause there's going to be other black Panther movies. And that's and forever like, altering that landscape too. Like, and, and, and he did it in pain and he was suffering and, and you can't see it because of his strength. And that to me is so much more powerful than here's this awesome guy who's in the superhero movie. Right. And, and I'm not saying like, I, I, I am the type of person who always tries to fill, find the silver lining and I do it because I, I have to do it. Like, you know, when I was younger, like I, I lost people to cancer. I know how that feels. I know how horrible it is and I know how detrimental it can be to your life. But I always try to see things in a way that sort of like there's, there's gotta be some outcome here that is good. Um, and I think that's how, somebody like him would want the world to see it. Um, and, and the best thing we can do for people like that to me is keep them alive by way of the legacy they created, um, especially when they did such good work for the world. So um, anyway, yeah, it, it was shocking, but I'm, I'm so grateful that we were given what we were given from him as an actor. And, and it's, it's nice to know that, in his short, you know, 40 years or, or whatever it was that he will have an indelible legacy that will last forever. No, I agree. And you know, it, I, as much as I love movies, I, I do and entertainment and of all sorts, I always bristle a little bit when somebody is quick to proclaim somebody a hero, you know, like I, I, it, whether or not they pass away or just do something like, you know, I, a basketball player winning a game is not a hero. You know, a, an, an actor simply portraying a role on screen is not a hero. A, uh, you know, I remember when, uh, God, I'm not a fan of like NASCAR racing, but I remember that somebody died, uh, uh whoever it was, you know, drive. And that sucks. And I'm not poking fun at the fact that they passed away while on the track at all. And yet, all of their fans were, were sort of quick to proclaim them a hero. And it's like, no, no, like they, 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 they were, you know, they, they were engaging in a sport and they passed away. And that really sucks. That doesn't make them a hero. You know, everything that you just said about Chadwick Boseman, the fact that he furthered representation, the fact that he led a billion dollar grossing movie, the fact that he did all the press to push those movies in the first place, the fact that he made something like five, six, seven movies in the space of just a handful of years when he knew he had stage three and eventually stage four cancer, the fact that he visited cancer wards and brought a little bit of joy into children's lives, knowing that his own time was running out. I don't bristle when people call that guy a hero. Like, that does seem heroic to me. Like, how, you know, I, 
anybody with that level of illness, I couldn't fault anybody for just wallowing in that, you know, and instead that guy did something creative with it. He did something good and he, he left one hell of a lasting impression. I think he left the world in a better place than it was when he got there. And so, yeah, I, I never expected this commentary to go this route. And yet I will say my hat's off to the man. For sure. Um, we just missed a really great scene. I just wanted to comment on where it's just a really intense. He's entering a place real quick that counts as taking a drink. Uh, Paul Massey and Christopher Lee have an argument where, where Paul Massey's him. like, "Hey, can I have a sh- can I have a crack at your mistress?" And just flat out asks him um, for his that is great. in exchange for his debt. And it's just a such a badass moment for like Paul Massey to just flat out ask like the scoundrel Christopher Lee. He entered the estate, then he entered the house, then he entered this room. So. Okay, I've taken two drinks. I'm taking my third. And I love that Chris released Paul Allen dares to get indignant about that fact. And that Massey's hide so quickly slaps him down for it. Like, yep. Yeah, you're right. And the confidence with which he sort of approaches her in her bedroom, you know, like to her, he's just some acquaintance of her husband for him to come in here like this and just, basically stake his claim on her or attempt. I mean, he did that earlier, but to, to come back. And, and essentially he is now driven Kitty to the point of leaving Jekyll. It is curious that it is simply an expectation with him. And it's amazing to like how quickly she shuts him down and how oh, yeah. he, you know, this is the first time he, you know, Hyde is a new man. He hasn't been in this world long. And so this is his first rejection. Yeah. We, we see him react to the first time a woman rejects him. And it's, you know, it's the first time we've seen him wounded, I think. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that plays into the unfortunate attack sequence that we see later. Like this is yeah. a guy who is not going to let that happen again. Well, yeah, he, he he it's showing you that he doesn't quite understand people as well as he thought he did. He left the room, by the way. Damn it. You know, someone who's driven by the id thinks that everyone can be bought out by the exact same. He left the house by the exact same carnal desires. He's forgetting about the nuances of love and friendship and, you know, goodness um, which you also need if you're going to navigate the social constructs of our world. Has he forgotten or is he simply completely unfamiliar with him? Like how much do you think he draws from Jekyll and how much is he almost a completely new man? Like he knows how to walk and talk and, you know, speak with people like he's he he knows how to function as an adult. But emotionally, he seems kind of brand new in a way. I, I think it's more a matter of conviction. I, I think it's it's less about does he know they exist and more about does he believe they're a factor. Um, I think he knows what Jekyll knows and Jekyll knows what he knows. But I think each man believes in a different sort of code of conduct, conduct um, and thinks that certain things have value and certain things don't. And I think Jekyll does, or I'm sorry, Hyde doesn't see value in those things. Um, and therefore he's underestimating them. 
Paul, I don't think I've had a single drink to a flight of stairs during this commentary. Have we missed something? There were stairs earlier, but there's not a lot of stairs. There were there were some stairs in the middle. So you're telling me there's stairs in the least... bedroom. Yeah, like when he was in the bedroom and he was looking out the window, there were stairs. And there were stairs with the orphans or whatever they were. Okay, so let me ask you this. Drink I some, think you should Kitty... drink some drinks. Okay. Kitty is arguably the smartest character in this film. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, Jekyll is <laughs> well, intelligent. Yeah. I, I, I would also say so in many ways. Street he's... smarts? <laughs> I, I would just say overall. I would say Jekyll is obviously a genius, but I also think in some ways he's as dumb as a damn post. He's making bad decisions. Exactly. So, that. Do, do you, by this point in the movie, do you buy... Young for him. That's creepy. That, <laughs> Do you buy that Kitty is so not merely that she is using Paul Allen, but at this point she seems so smitten with him? Like it, it rings false to me a little bit. I think Paul Allen offers Kitty a way out, but um, she I, but it feels like she should see... know that that's what that is. But I, I, but she, she needed that bump. I do think, though, in the I, okay. So my theory on Paul Allen with her is that initially he was an exciting um, distraction from her otherwise unfulfilling married life, and that distraction ended up offering her much of what it was she had been needing, and she grew to care about the person that was providing it. And that care grew into love. I do think she loves him. I don't think she's good for her or he's good for her. And that he's, I think in a, in a world where they run off together, I don't know that I can confidently say they end up together. Yeah. Because once, I mean, once I'm gonna make she, it she does not have, or once he does not have the benefit of her husband to provide for him, does he really need Kitty? Like, they went off into the world arm in arm. Like, how long does that relationship last when she isn't able to stake him, you know? Well, yeah, although... He, he's going to be looking for another rich, unfulfilled woman, you know? I do think that part of their relationship for him is the excitement of it being forbidden. Um, although, I will say, like, Kitty's quite a catch. <laughs> Sure. I don't know that he could do a whole lot better than than Don Adams. I'm sorry, Paul. We're talking about Christopher Lee here. So Yeah, but know. we're also talking about Don Adams. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> I mean She is a redhead. Who who are you, you know, what are we doing here? Sorry if you hear uh pouring drinks, audience, and bottle twisty caps. I have to uh refresh my beverage. It's gonna get a little loud. It's all part yes. of the ambiance. <laughs> He's getting hammered with hammer. I do admire Jekyll's beard for staying on in this heavy rain. That's impressive. Who doesn't admire Jekyll's beard? I'm, I'm still saying, like, I just wanted one transformation sequence where his beard fell off all at once. And then I wanted another transformation sequence where he goes from Hyde back to Jekyll and the beard sprouts, kind of like, not unlike you know the hair coming out of Lon Chaney Jr. in The Wolfman, 
Like, you know, they, it was, they had the opportunity and they failed us. Uh, that little brat's going to walk in, isn't she? We're going to have to drink, aren't we? I mean, right, it is a drinking comes. game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there he goes. Ah, oh, you bastard. Okay, drink. All right. Here we go. I just got a fresh one. I'm still working on Oh, that. my gosh. And all those kids are leaving in the background. That's a drink for every kid. Bullshit, Paul. <laughs> That's like no. 10 drinks. No. <laughs> you have to drink at least three. I No, I don't. All right, here I go. This I find this scene like really devastating, and I and I think it's a testament to the the story, because that girl was really only in the beginning, but like how much she idolized him and looked up to him, and how it's all gone in a second, and then how he sort of registers that, and for the first time, it's like he's realizing like the one person, literally maybe the one person who cared about him. And actually thought he was a good guy, now sees him for what he is. So who do you think shoved her? Do you think it was Jekyll or Hyde? Because I have this theory that like, you know, Jekyll and Hyde are obviously yin and yang, right? But at a certain point it feels like yin and yang start to bleed into one another. Well, I think they always did. I think it's just more he's more cognizant of it now. And and the the uh, that other side of himself is more present, regardless of which person he is. So I think that's why in the end Hyde is more present in Jekyll, and Jekyll ultimately is more present in Hyde. You know, until they can become sort of one, which that to me is sort of the lesson: is that if if they could only just accept that. I love this, by the way, again, the handwriting, the change in handwriting to signify the, the change in person. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan and I like this scene too. I like all the scenes with Christopher Lee. You know, you watch him, this is 1960. I think Christopher Lee in another universe might have made for a damned good James Bond. Oh, not, yeah. a, not a Scaramanga, but a James Bond. Yeah, he could he could have been he could have been Bond. I would have watched that. I mean, honestly, he almost looks more like Bond is meant to look from the Ian Fleming novels than uh, uh, than any other actor has ever played him. Yeah, I I do like how Hyde is able to consistently manipulate him. And and Paul Allen knows he's being manipulated pretty much at every turn. Also, uh, Jack, or Hyde left the house just now, so that's a drink. And dancing. So dancing. Drink. Drink. Ooh, and you know what? Those dancers, they came downstairs. Damn you, Paul. Yeah. Oh man, that was a I have, big couple I have of drinks. So much pineapple juice in my system right now. It's good though, right? I love it. Here I you, am. You and I, you and I have different quarantines. Sorry, right, man. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was lewd. Um. Okay, so yeah, they're dancing. 
Now, are these like, is what is, is this fan fan dancers? <laughs> are they? That's the kind of quality commentary people tune in for. <laughs> <laughs> and they're dancing. That is certainly a dance. Okay, you know what? Anybody who's listened, been listening to this show for the last four episodes, you know, you expect a noticeable difference. All- all two listeners, <laughs> we appreciate you. Probably more than that. We'll see. I don't know. Well, they ended. They get another drink. All right. They did it. I think they're about to go downstairs. She looks. Does she look like she's going to a funeral or what? They're going downstairs right now. He is on a stair, and they just went downstairs. Two people behind them. Kind of is son of a bitch. Well. So yeah, she looks like she's going to a funeral. That guy, and he went downstairs, and he entered the room. Oh, <laughs> people just entered the room. Holy shit! That's like, how many drinks is that? I can't even keep track. I feel like this. Oh, and dancing. They just started dancing again. They've always been dancing. Yeah, but we weren't focused on them. The shit that hell we weren't in my the, mind. That we're always back away shot. Parts out. Look, at this part of the show, all we do is try to make each other drink, so that's kind of what's happening. Is that what happens? I can't remember. I was going to say, you started the episode by bringing up like stuff about Christopher Nolan, and it took me a minute to be like, did we talk about Christopher Nolan? <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Nolan I can't, I have to say, this will be the first podcast I've ever done where I'm actually excited to go listen to them, because I often have a tough time. Recalling exactly what it was we talked about. <laughs> Most other casts, I'm pretty familiar. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know what we well, I know I'm, the gist. I am holding the rule that I am not editing or having these episodes edited at all. I'm just going to leave them be. So that prospect is slightly terrifying I, to me. I am scared. I hope people but, don't hate me. Nah, I, I mean, maybe the writers of Dexter and Christopher Nolan. So oh, that's fine. Maybe write a better final season. Oh. I think people might might take my my incel comment about some women living up to that uh, to heart when when I just feel like I should know. I don't mean all women, not even most women, not even not even a great deal of women. I'm just saying some women are wonderful. They're wonderful. They're great. Now, overall, absolutely. Maybe not That's some of my exes, but oh come on, Paul, you have to have at least one bad ex in your past. Oh, look at you trying to get me to come on, Paul. Open up. Go ahead. I don't know. I I'm fine. Everything's good, man. Paul, you got one bad. <laughs> I'm married. I'm happy. You don't, you don't even have to. I say got a beautiful name, wife. Who's I just I just need confirmation. Kate one Fulton. bad. Just give me one. Me a better person. Just say just say one. I, I will say my wife basically saved my entire life and made me who I am. If it weren't for her, I'd be a lot more um, unhappy and probably angry okay she definitely saved you know me from depression and bad places and bad decisions no i mean i've only dated i'm the kind of no one wants to hear this during a hammer commentary i'm on this 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 i've always had like and it's always me this week it's your turn i don't no one wants to go to like the no one, no one cares. No one Paul. I care. They, they want to know what I'm watching. That's the only reason people follow me on Twitter. What's what's Paul I watching? Care, Paul. Paul, the only way through this. About that movie. The only way through this is through this. Come on, we're not cutting the short. Come on. 
Uh, well, they, I don't really have like a great story. I mean, I dated every person I dated. I dated for a really long time. I mean, I pretty much went from like the first girl. Well, I dated someone very briefly, like freshman year of high school, I guess. And it was like a month or two and it wasn't anything. And then I dated somebody for like a year and a half. And, you know, that was a relatively serious relationship for me. Then I broke up with her. And within two weeks, I was dating somebody else. And we dated for four and a half years. And that was the person who I thought we were, I was going to marry. Um, and it just, it was never what it should have been. But, you know, when you're with somebody for long enough, you just kind of convince yourself like, oh, well, if I've, you know, if I've spent two years with this person, this has to be the one. So, like, we've got to make it work. And I think a lot of our issues stemmed from that. But you. she was my first in a lot of ways in terms of, like, big milestone relationship things. And I cared a lot about her. And I cared for her. And I, I hope she's happy wherever she is because I don't really know her anymore. But, um it ended and I was sort of bitter about that. And I tried to talk to her and get back together with her a couple of times out of, I don't know, uh, wanting to sort of cling to that past. And she wasn't super into that. And so I was kind of like, fine. And then I was single for like the first time in my young life as a, whatever age I was 20 or 21 year old, you know, I had been dating since I was like old enough to date. And then, Suddenly, I was single in college, so I went a little crazy <laughs> and uh, spent a year being single and kind of doing the single life thing, and it really didn't fulfill me at all, and I was kind of getting more and more unhappy with not being with someone because I'm definitely the kind of person who's sort of – I'm just I, – I was born to be, like, monogamous. Like, I just need, like, a person who's static in my world that I – love and care about and is always there and that's just what i want i'm a lot more attracted to the idea of that than i am like dating around or whatever and uh not here yet. Uh, finally on one night i was in my apartment um sitting on the couch just sad and alone and i made a decision i just kind of said oh and it was the uh it was like the night of my I don't want to get all. Why are we? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Come on, Paul. You're almost home. Almost home. It was, it was the night. So when I was 16, my my mom passed away, and it was oh, the, shit, the anniversary of her death that particular particular night in college in uh, 2005. Actually, I remember the year. Um, and I just decided, you know what, I'm. I'm done sort of being angry at myself. I'm done hating myself. I'm done running away from a relationship. I'm going to work on me and try to find what makes me happy and, uh, and, and go from there. And literally the next day I started a class, a health class, actually literally health class. It was a prereq required for my degree and I wasn't in the class. I had to go to the teacher and ask to be let in. And she said, well, I can't guarantee I'll let you in, but you can stay for this first session. And I sat down and in front of me was a pretty girl. So I was like, oh, I'll start talking to her and just struck up a conversation. And long story short, that is my wife. <laughs> so Paul, I think that's awesome. 
Yeah. So, I mean, when people say things are like meant to be and faded or whatnot, I'm not saying I believe in that stuff, but that was a pretty crazy situation. And she was literally like, in a lot of ways, I feel like sort of, I fought through all of this horrible stuff to get to a point where I could be ready to meet her. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. And, and that's how that all happened. And then I met her and, and that's been the, uh, the great love of my life. Paul, I think that's awesome. I mean that. I think that's fantastic. I, I am still looking for that one person, but Hey, hope springs eternal. Uh, it is worth noting that we have seen um, a lot of stuff in the last couple of minutes. Sorry, including, guys. I, including, no, 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 no. I, I, I pushed for it, I, 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 and I think it was important. Um, the rum is hitting pretty hard right now. We have seen dancing, and not for nothing, Kitty made, in her own way, kind of an exit. So I think that's two drinks. Okay. Yeah, the Kitty scene was great um, that we missed. <laughs> The honestly going all the way back to Jekyll or oh, shit, uh, fuck Hyde's attack. The line "Your husband is here" is so yeah. chilling to me. Super creepy. And it, is it weird to find again? I appreciate this movie for being an uh, quote unquote like a, like an adult film. But is it weird to find the notion of like even the the hint of a rape scene kind of beneath Hammer? Uh, Frankenstein and the uh, and Frankenstein must be destroyed aside, uh, and yet totally appropriate for the story, you know. And I appreciate the fact that they cut away, and I'm sure they yeah they had to cut away considering the censors. But we know what happens, right? And, right. But it, it seems yeah. like again, it seems inevitable for the story that's being told. And I think there's something so tragic about uh, ultimately Kitty's end, and but. The, again, there's something about the relationship with her and Paul Allen. I get what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying, and yet I don't know that I would buy her killing herself over Paul Allen. She doesn't kill herself over the rape. Like, she throws herself, she flings herself off the, the balcony into the glass over Paul Allen. And I got issues with that, too, because, well, I looked it up. There's no such thing as a venomous python. And that thing was slow as hell. So how did Paul die? Did he have a heart attack? What the hell is going on there? yeah no i mean that there's a lot to that and then him strangling her too shows that to me what that shows is like it was never about meeting someone he cared about it wasn't even about the sex it was about dominance um but does hyde strangle maria or does jekyll because to me honestly like yeah hyde is the id hyde is the bad guy like in a way but it makes more sense to me if it's Jekyll who is responsible for killing Maria because of what she represents. But uh, again, I, I think that... it's because both men, because they're melding into something. They're, they're two broken halves of, of a whole that reject one another. But they're, they're, the, the thing you brought about incels is so appropriate, right? Because here's a guy who's like, talking about oh woe's me you know i i can't i can't you know this is this is all happening to me like but he's the one enacting this violence consistently and and he brought hyde into the world in the first place the the other thing is about kitty i also think there's an element of kitty sort of like because when she heaves herself off of the building like 
it also looks like she's fainting a little bit. Like you I don't always think took, it was her choice. I I think it was more because to me, like that moment was into, like I think yes. she was giving was into like how sort of doomed her whole family's existence is like her life, everyone around her. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a shitty way for her character to go out, but I think, I think it actually speaks to the lack of agency she always had. And I think it, and I think that's more what the message of it was, was that, she seemed like a character who had a lot of agency, but she never really did because she was also under Paul Allen's thumb. And without him, she didn't really know what to do with herself. Her life was ruled by men. Unfortunately, even though she was, again, I, I would argue that she is the smartest character in the film. And yet ultimately she was under the thumb of two men, you know, and just because she was able to squeak out from under one of those thumbs, it doesn't mean that she was actually ever free. Um, I wonder how that character would fare in the present day. I don't think she would be falling through a a bunch of glass at all. Uh, I think she would be the last person standing at the end of the film. Um, But unfortunately, and I do think the movie makes the right choice here. I I don't think as much as I think it would be a happy ending, as much as I think it would be a preferable ending for her to live, given the time, given the era, given, given you know, the decks stacked against her. Yeah. I mean, her ending feels kind of inevitable in a horrible sort of way. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to gloss over the fact that Paul, that Christopher Lee is killed by a giant snake. Um, and think... how, how Paul, how was he killed? Was it, it doesn't matter. It was a giant snake. Like who gives it, a shit? It moved. like. I mean, it, it's snail. great that it, it, that, that feels sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> That is one part of this movie that feels pretty sleazy is the uh, giant snake death. Okay, can we uh, talk about um, female uh, Sherlock Holmes on the left there with her monocle? What What's going on here? I don't know, but I want to see the movie she stars in. I, me too. I was getting I ready to like say, I want to see three the of these characters. All three of these characters feel like they're out of another movie that I desperately want to watch. They just like, happened to cross this. This. Dude, this is the backdoor pilot for a Look great at that series. guy's eyebrows. Like, and the other dude's mustache. I am so into this. His like, eyebrows could kick my ass. Oh, man, I'd be into that movie. But that's the thing about Hammer. This is like, is this is, like, this is like Jago and Lightfoot in Doctor Two, two things. Like, it, right, but that's the thing. is like all of... All of the Hammer, like what I love about Hammer movies is they're populated by such eclectic characters and all of them are interesting for the most part. Like even people who walk on for 30 seconds and have two lines, you're kind of like, I could watch a movie about that guy. I also want to point out Gravedigger in a Frankenstein movie and you could make a fucking movie about them. Is this the first Hammer movie that doesn't have a Hammer pub? Holy shit, Paul. Well, but I mean, you know, you're, that dance, doesn't, the, the dance club doesn't count as a hammer pub. Doesn't it, though, Paul? Isn't, no. isn't the dance no. club? No, 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 hear, no. Me out, hear me out. Hear can me we out. ask a, when we post this we, up, we, can we, we put will a poll? Pull. Up? We will, <laughs> we will pull audiences, but I it feel does like not count. The dance club is a natural extension of the pub for this class. It it's no it's not a hammer pub though it just is. Like, okay, it isn't fine. a hammer 
Club. But I mean, we can put the poll up, and if 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 I'm wrong, then you know, then I'm wrong. People are gonna. We, vote. we also didn't talk about. I, I feel like out of the two of us, you are the most likable. So I think that's that's unfair. They're they're gonna sway after after five episodes of this. I don't know if my likability is gonna be too strong. <laughs> I mean, Christopher I Nolan like and the the writers of the last half of Dexter probably aren't gonna vote your way, but everybody else you probably got in the bag. For the record, I don't think I said Christopher Nolan is like a bad director. I just I think you said you hated the son of a bitch, and I quote, "I did." It was now, something. Dexter, Dexter, I had some choice words for, but you did. I listened show, to the back, man. That was, I was like, shit. I shouldn't that have show let. I didn't burned be there me, to man. Burned me. There's only two shows in my life that I feel like really burned me, and that was one of them. Okay, but can I ask you a question about yeah. Dexter? I can't believe we're going back to Dexter, and we're going no, to limit this to 20 seconds. The people we're going to limit it. We're going to limit it. Okay, it's going further because of you, because you're interrupting me, but I want to keep it to 20 seconds. Paul, is it possible? For, you know, every major TV show has had a revival in recent years. If there was a limited series revival of Dexter, is there any way for them to win you over? Yes. Okay. That's all I wanted to it know. It could be done. It, it, it's possible. Look at that. But it, it would be, it would, it would require. Hey, can that we just say this guy is one of those characters that I love that just comes in for 20 seconds and is great. It's popped in um, the back of the head. Okay. He entered that room, by the way. He did um, enter. Oh, you're right. He entered the room. By the way, he got shot in the back of the head. Does that mean he exited the room too? God damn it. Yes. And all of them just went upstairs, like five people. <laughs> they went up the stairs to the door before they knocked. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's three drinks. I'm, Paul, I'm getting fucked up here. I'm not going to lie. Well, thanks. That's the point of this podcast. As oh, you reminded man. me of the very first episode. Sons, those sons of bitching cops. Okay, oh, they and- went into the room. <laughs> Look at him! Look at him running! Oh goodness! You know, I I was never one to fully subscribe to the "all cops are bastards" uh, rule, but these guys aren't helping <laughs> with their entering and exiting and uh, stuff. Well, I That's love cool. I love this. Like him, how he pretends that that he's the victim is such a solid. It's so executed well. He's like my ex. Sorry. Damn, dude. <laughs> oh, I'm fucked up, Paul. I'm not going to lie. That if she was is... here right now, what would you I've... say to her? I've Do what? If she was here right now, what would you say? My ex? Yeah. Oh, shit. You know what? Ultimately, like, and I'm drunk, so you know this is me being truthful. I would wish her well. I would wish her happiness. You're a good dude. See, you're nice. People like you. I don't know about that. I didn't block you on Twitter yet. <laughs> not yet. No, not yet. yet. Not yet. Hey, <laughs> early days, Paul. Early days. You got to get to know me a little We've bit. We've only been friends for what? Like, God, it's probably been. It's got to have been a couple of years, right? What? Three, three, two or three years at least. Yeah. Like I said, early days. You'll you'll hate me eventually. Um. Okay, he exited a Roaring Inferno. That's another drink, I think. That's a drink, yeah. Another, I will say, with even though it doesn't have a hammer pub, it does end in a hammer fire. Which, I mean, is necessary, I think. Look at that grin. He's brilliant. I found out that that guy wound up teaching college. He wound up teaching drama in, really? fuck, of all places, fucking Tampa, Florida, which is a stone's throw away from really? where I am. That's yeah. Good. 
Imagine that guy's cool. a teacher. Like I, I would have been the student who sought out this movie and had him like autograph my DVD copy. That's 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 oh, a prick. Yeah. It would have been so cool to have him as your teacher. Yeah, he was, and I Love. honestly, I don't know that I've seen Paul Massey in anything else, but by God, he's a damn good actor. No, and I was going to ask, like, the guy who wrote the script, uh, was it Wolf Mankiewicz? Yeah, I mean, it um, was, you know, I thought that, that was a pseudonym for Jimmy Sangster, but apparently not. Did he write other Hammer movies? I don't, I think this was a one-off, and that might be by virtue Man. of the fact that, um... It didn't do that well, but um, yeah, which is a shame because it's a great script. It, it's it's it, really it good. Them, them reaching out to him and him doing this, like because it looks like he was a respected playwright. So yeah. that to me showed that Hammer was trying to do something different with this. Like obviously they brought in Terrence Fisher, they brought in Christopher Lee, they probably mm-hmm. bought, brought in a lot of the people that you know were the. Uh, Oh, the the regulars for a Hammer production, certainly. Um, even though I haven't seen much of Bray or what I would consider Bray, I mean, I'm sure Bray figures into it. It's noted as being shot at Bray Studios. And so this is clearly yeah, early Hammer. But Wolf Mankiewicz and his script here really deserve a lot of credit for trying to further what Hammer was doing at the time. And I think they got slapped on the wrist for it. And as a result, I think they went back to what they knew, which is awesome. Like, I yeah. love Brides of Dracula. I love the Frankenstein. Oh, Brides is so good. I love well, Curse, like, of Curse, of, I love... Curse of the Werewolf comes after this. And I, yeah, exactly. that's one of my absolute favorite Hammer movies. I think I it's mean, one of the best ones they made. The Gorgon, Night Creatures. Uh, you know, Night like, creatures, so, yeah. many, so many movies that they made are brilliant. And yet... Not many of them touch on the kind of adult subject matter that this movie was reaching for. And I think that's because, again, ultimately people didn't show up and it was a big loss for the studio. And that sucks that, you know, they 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 were punished for trying to break outside of what they had done up until that point. It's unfair. Well, one has to wonder if it's because, the st- especially with the decision they made to make Hyde a handsome guy rather than a a monster like it always feels like their iconic sort of monster movies have more sticking power and maybe that's because there's that draw of a monster you know maybe there's just that sort of surface level attraction of seeing some sort of bizarre creature as opposed to humanity being the mask I, I agree, but even then, the fact that Hammer built up a lot of goodwill, like, there probably wasn't good word of mouth if that's, if what you're saying is the case, and I believe you, and I think you're probably right. But I wonder, like, even, even on an opening weekend, do you think this movie put a lot of asses in seats based on what had come before? Or do you think Hammer was even a well-known name by this point? I mean, this is only three years Hammer, in. This is only... Hammer was a well-known name. I mean, by in this America... Point. In 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 the UK, certainly. I, I I mean, maybe not to the point where people are like rushing out to see their next movie, but people knew who they were. Like pe- like people were aware of Hammer Studios. I mean, really, Frankenstein and Dracula. After that, people knew who Hammer were, like what Hammer was doing, and that they were reinventing classic monsters. Because the Mummy did well too. Do you and think the part of the reason the Mummy kind of did well them... was because it was Hammer's next reinvention. And this was marketed like 
as another hammer reinvention. Like they're like, Oh, we, we did Dracula. We did Frankenstein. We did the mummy. Now see our take on Dr. Jekyll, you know? So like arguably like they leaned into, into that. Oh, the movie ended. It did. So in a way we're exiting. Let's take one last drink. Yep. Holy shit. Okay, Paul, I gotta run for two seconds. I need you to entertain the audience and I'll be right back. You're making me do this without movie this time. Usually I have a movie to talk about. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, no. So uh, I'll, I'll continue down my line of thought with uh, with the film. So, no, I, I think that Hammer was a was a proven entity at this point. I mean, it was. Um, I think the critical awareness of Hammer, like critics are starting to become a little bit harder on them. Uh, as I said, the BBFC was really starting to crack down um, and starting to really attempt to sabotage them before they even came out. One thing that is interesting is in the U.S., they were a little less of a household name, but their movies were successful and they were often paired with other British films of the time, depending on what studio they were going through. This obviously was Paramount. Universal ones like that were tied to Universal usually had like a bigger release slate. But the reviews in the U.S. were better than the reviews in the U.K. And I think most of the major publications in the U.S. actually said that the film was impressive and interesting and, and introspective. But it wasn't enough to sort of garner the same sort of attention that a lot of the other Hammer films got. Um, And again, I think it's because most of the advertising pertain to like creatures usually. And this one didn't have a creature to hang its hat on, Um, especially with the decision to make Hyde human. But I also think that's what separates it in Hammer's canon. I think the human element of the film, given that it's trying to accomplish the same thing that a lot of the monster movies are trying to accomplish is one of the things that makes it so mature. Um, you know, it's easy to sort of like dissect humanity and what's below the surface when you have like a monster, like Frankenstein's monster at the home or Dracula or the werewolf, you know, where you have like some sort of animalistic incarnation of the carnal desires of man come into play but when you personify that with a pleasant smile and pretty blue eyes, you start to get at something that's a little bit harder to grasp and a I'm little sorry, bit I, more. I came in with pretty blue eyes and I couldn't help but think that you're talking about me. What did I miss? I was looking at a picture of you Stop. and just describing what I saw. <laughs> well, shucks. Um, you'll never know what I said. As as is the case in most episodes when you walk away. Um, I, I was just attempting to entertain the audience with uh, my opinions on the film. Nice! So ultimately, how do we feel about the two faces of Dr. Jekyll? Thumbs up, thumbs down, hand uh, out, palm down, shaky, you know, like so-so? Wow, I don't know what any of that means. Uh, I, I, I was going to say I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I, I, I don't know. I've never done like a ranking I haven't, I've seen we a need, lot. At the, at the end of this podcast, when we reach the end, if we haven't, you know, uh, oh God, uh, drank, our, drank like ourselves to death <laughs> by that point, then we need to do some sort of, I'm curious, Paul, do you think we're going to make it to the very end? Are we going to make it to like, 
uh, the resident and the woman in black and all of that. Are I'll, we going to get that I, far? I'll do it, dude. Like I'm with you. I all am right. with all right. me and all you. Right. We're in this together. Uh, I think, how about this? Uh, every, Oh man. How many movies did they make? Like, t- well, technically speaking, thing. We, we are mostly limiting this to hammer horror, which means we've yeah, already we're not going to do. Yeah, we're not going to do every single Hammer movie. As much as maybe every so many movies, we should do. Like, we're we're not doing those, you know. What what if what if every like twenty five movies we do sort of a little mini episode where we do like top five of those twenty five or something? Like we we do a list kind of thing. Paul, Paul, like like a five just because kind of thing, like a pure cinema style list. Because uh, you know what's next, Paul? What's next? The Brides of Dracula. <laughs> oh, shit. Which yeah. sucks because, uh, not sucks, I love that movie, but it sucks because Scream Factory's got it coming out. And it would be great if we had that disc, but um, I have the Universal Wait a second. Did, box set. Did we skip The Brides of Dracula? I don't think we did, but I'm looking at like the filmography and it's showing... Brides first, which I don't think was the case. Either way, we can do it next. Yeah, I mean, I brides. <laughs> I've I've said often, brides of Dracula and Frankenstein created woman are my two single favorite <laughs> single it's... favorite two movies. But they they are tied <laughs> oh, for being my so single good. single favorite Hammer films. It's it's phenomenal. Like it, it is. I was amazed at that movie um how good it is so i'm i'm really excited to revisit it maybe i was going by us release date because holy shit they're they're showing that brides actually came out in july and two faces of dr jekyll came out in october so paul we may have fucked up the lineup here you know what you know what's great about this though what's that is we haven't aired any of these episodes so technically well i feel like we <laughs> You could air the next episode first. Uh, but I'm not editing these, so if I swap them, people are going to be like, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah, I guess. I guess there is sort of a weird canonical storyline to our commentaries. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, people? Look at, look at it this way. We're drunk. We're doing the best we can. We're doing okay? the best, people. Um, so I, next I think up... as long as we do it, I think that's fine. But yeah, I think I think we could do like a five just because every so many movies. I think that would be fun. I like a good sort of like interim hammer. And then we we set those movies aside and then we get to the very end. We compile all of those and then we choose our rankings. I'll tell you what. Yeah, if we make it to the end, the very end. I'm we, sorry, Paul. If that's defeatist talk okay, there. I'm sorry. When we make it to the end, we'll do a top Holy 10. Holy shit, Paul. Whenever. When do you think we're really going to make it to the end? I think I, I'll do it. You, you. If anyone backs out, it's going to be you. But that's fine. You know, that's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm I sorry. I, I don't I think thought, you do that to me. I think, but the real I question think is, I am branded as the drunk online. It's a self branding, but it is a right. brand. So can I think I I'm the guy you, who can who can make it through all this. Can I ask you a very serious question, though? When oh. when we're done with all of that, when we finish the hammer cannon, and we do our top ten, can we move on to a different studio of horror films? Uh, the, once we are done with hammer. <laughs> We're uh we're going with Amicus. Ooh, okay. I am so excited. So we'll go from getting, see, getting hammered thing. with hammer to getting our asses handed to us by Amicus. I don't know. Um, good. We got we got off the cuff 
thing right there. I'm proud of that. <laughs> that was good. All right, so next up, folks, oh. if you're st- if you're still listening to us ramble at this point, I'm not cutting any of this. This was actually like one of our more pointed conversations. I think. Was- I think we actually like had a lot to say about this movie, and we added something to the conversation. I'm more afraid. Than usual. <laughs> that people are going to listen to the first couple of episodes and just tune right out. Uh, maybe, uh, not, maybe not even the second, because I think the second one is going to be entertaining for people. The first one, when it's just me retching at beer and neither one of us getting drunk, is the one that concerns me. I'm almost, okay, I, I referenced Doctor Who earlier. Yeah. There is a practice in Doctor Who where when they cast a new doctor, and you're familiar with Doctor Who. I, I am. I'm familiar. Okay. So when they cast a new Doctor Who, they will actually shoot a couple of later episodes first. So they'll shoot like episodes four and five and maybe six or three, something like that, right? Before they will shoot that actor's first episode so that they know the character inside and out by that point, so that they're comfortable, so that they can hit the ground running on their introduction, right? And I'm wondering if, uh, you know, and again, I'm not cutting any of this, so audiences are going to be privy to this no matter what the, uh, the, 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 fucking, the decision is. But I'm wondering if we shouldn't redo The Curse of Frankenstein. Now, if you say we should leave Curse of Frankenstein as is, I'm completely cool with that. But all I'm saying I, I've is... I've never heard it. I don't. I barely remember it at this point. Here's the thing: I remember having fun. No, 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 no. no. I remember having fun. I just remember that we were both sober till the the bitter fucking end. Uh, I just remember I was gagging. You're such a beer naysayer, and I love beer. I hate beer, and there's no. And you know this to be true. There's no way that we are going to get sloshed on beer on this show. It's just not going to happen. The movies are like 80, 85 minutes a pop. There is no way to get us sloshed on beer in that amount of time. Fine. I, I, I <laughs> you knew that. But beer is delicious, and it's great. And I thought that first episode was fun. I don't know. But I, I but at the same time, like maybe it wasn't. It just good. doesn't bear out. You know what? This is this is our fifth episode. This is this is where I feel like all the cylinders. I think every episode up until this point has been fun in its own way. This episode was what I wanted the show to be from like the very beginning, like from pitch. So I'm happy with everything we've done. I'm just saying I feel like I'm fun. Glad I finally got it right. <laughs> no, no, I think I think you got it right from the beginning. I think I was the fuck up. Um, oh, it it's been a I good think. time, man. I, I think I, I'm excited to continue going with these films, and I, and it's a great reason to catch up. I mean, I, I've become a huge Hammer fan, obviously, in the last couple of years. I, I, but I'm really happy that I have this now because it's it's a great reason to see all the ones I haven't watched yet and rewatch some of the ones I have watched. Um, and then it's it's fun having just a conversation about the movie. I think more than a commentary, or or maybe different than a commentary, it's more of a conversation surrounding the film, like a podcast you would do about the film while the film plays. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I like, plus I commentary and I know we've gotten that. Well, we've, I've gotten personal, like in the last half or whatever, you get enough drinks in me. I'll tell you uh, what my social security number is and the, the number to my bank account. I'll make a, I'll make a note of that for me. <laughs> 
but um yeah but no i kind of appreciate that too because that's totally i mean that's that's that was kind of the brief you know that's kind of the uh the 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 uh conceit of the show i think is you know we we talk about the movie but inevitably this being scream addicts we're going to digress too so maybe we'll talk about the two faces of dr jekyll but we get enough drinks in us and we'll talk about fucking black panther you know, we'll talk about uh, our love lives. <laughs> that we know. did. That's, that's that's what we'll do, man. That's what this show is. I am okay. You know what? I got one drink of rum left. Hang on. It's got a little bit more. It's like one and a half drinks. Okay, one more. Oh, are you still drinking? Yep, okay, I am done. I am good and slosh, sir. So let's take a look at what is on the horizon. Listeners, if you are still with us, you can look forward to Paul and I drinking our way through. Are you ready? The Brides of Dracula, which is a favorite of mine. Of the Werewolf, which I believe, from his write-up on Bloody Disgusting, is a favorite of Paul's. Yes, I love Captain Clegg. A.K.A. Night Creatures, which, oh, if you have never seen it, is so damn good. So good. I'm really excited about that one. Remade as Disney, uh, or shit, remade by Disney, with Patrick McGowan as Dr. Sin, which is also cool as hell. And I haven't seen they, that. I'll have to watch that before we do that episode, because I've never seen Dr. Sin. Good luck finding it, sir. You might be able to find it on Disney Plus, but that DVD is a son of a bitch to get a hold of. Uh, no, it's super expensive. Uh, but after that, so ready? So we're yeah. going Brides of Dracula, Curse of the Werewolf. Excited about that. I'm going to pick oh. up the uh, Stream Factory version of that. Um, Captain Clegg, a.k.a. Night Creatures. And then next will be 1962. The Phantom of the Opera. Ooh. Really excited about that. Man, we've got like quite a lineup ahead of us here. Ah, so like, much. Gonna... Man. <laughs> the problem is, Jenks, is we're going to peak early. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting all the best ones out of the way. Oh, man. Here's the thing. We're just going to have to counter some of the later entries with the amount of booze that we drink. For example, by the yeah. time we get the Satanic Rites of Dracula, we're going to have to front load the drinking games to where we're sloshed at about 20, yeah. 25 minutes. And that'd be even remotely interesting God at that damn. point. All right. I'm excited, though. I think uh, I think this is an endeavor I'm very happy to take. And I'm happy to take it with you, sir. And I hope our listeners are ready for us to be really drunk and talking about our personal lives in the latter half of these movies. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, we should. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 it's good. We should come up with some sort of like game that occurs, like a personal life game that occurs only in the last half hour of the film. <laughs> shit. Like what? Like hit me, hit me. <laughs> Let's beta test it right now. We're only two hours and five minutes in on this commentary about an 85 minute long hammer film. Please oh, tell they, me. What you're people know what they're getting it. This is episode five. <laughs> this is like, this is almost like a Patreon channel at this point. Like if they're here, they get it and they know what this is about and they're fucking in. You audience Whatever. members, I don't you know why, but I appreciate it. <laughs> you knew. All right, so hit me, Paul. Uh, what, what, what were we thinking? Uh, oh shit! I'm sorry. 
and slur. I know I'm really drunk at this point. I've got like, a lot of. Is it bad that I'm thinking about pouring myself another drink? Uh, I yes, well, it is. Because I am. Here's the thing. You're 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 the guy who's branding himself as not a hard liquor guy. I'm the guy who's branding himself a fucking all. slosh on Twitter. So the the which the, is because I'm ha- I handle it pretty well is what I'm finding. <laughs> well, okay. but here's the thing. You are also okay. What? How old are you? Uh, uh, I have to think about it. Jesus, thirty six. Really? Yeah. Okay, you're not that much younger than me. I'm 39. About I'm not, I, I, I wasn't claiming to be. <laughs> no, but I'm saying I expected you to be. If you had said like 31 or 32, I would have been like, well, of course you're handling the booze better. But shit, 36, now I feel bad. I feel like a lightweight at this point. But that said, I have I have also drank many people under a table in Sarasota every Saturday night when that was a possibility before this fucking pandemic. Uh, so I know I can handle my liquor. All I'm saying is, is that I got a lot of rum in me right now. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a little, uh, a little screwy right now and I'm still interested in hearing what your, uh, your, your, your personal, well, uh, I I liked, I, I think part of the show is sort of us talking about ourselves, right? Because like anytime I listen to a podcast, like one of my favorite things about it is getting to know the people on the podcast. Right. So I think it might be a good opportunity to sort of step away from the movie for a bit and just kind of like have a game where we have to tell some sort of specific personal story that we wouldn't normally want to tell. Um, and we have to do it every episode. <laughs> I feel like every talk would be just me more like uh, being um, maudlin about my ex because, he, because about- here's here's the thing. Is and it doesn't even. I, I see what you're saying. It doesn't even have to be like a romantic life or whatever. But what I found, weirdly enough, and listeners out there, please tell me if you are in even a remotely similar experience. But in the normal world, that's the pre-COVID, pre-pandemic world. If you had a breakup, there is kind of like a timeline for you to get over that, right? I would assume for most people, like you Usually. just naturally, yeah. Well, it depends What's on the breakup, me? though. Like, I, it, I, I it get it. I mean, it like, amount, you're gonna, you should like, get over it eventually. You should, but... you should. And here's the, and I'm not saying that I'm not. I'm saying what's weird about it is that, it, you know, I had a breakup practically like not very long before COVID hit and quarantine hit, and so every sort of crutch that I was using normally. Like, you know, hanging out with friends, being around people, uh, going to bars and just hanging out and chatting it up and striking up pool games with complete strangers and chatting up women. Like, all of that went away. And so what I'm left with is quarantined where it's just four walls and me trying to entertain myself as best I can and not get out because, you know, I'm, you know, I have friends who are just like, dude, we've been to restaurant, yeah, restaurants without masks, you know, we've been fine, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's great. And I honestly, I would probably be fine too. Maybe I would be one of the blessed 80% that doesn't actually contract COVID and die from it. But the thing is, is that I spent the first 15 years of my life with uh, asthma. So the prospect of getting a respiratory virus and literally like strangling to death. 
is borderline terrifying to me. So as a result, you know, I'm staying in the entire time. And as a result of that, all of my coping mechanisms are now taken away from me. And as a result, the idea of getting over a bad breakup, it's all in slow motion for me. And so I've had, you know, a tougher time getting over it because that's all I have to dwell on. Uh, not for nothing. I, you know, it was only like a six month relationship, but the thing is, is that it was a six month relationship with somebody I've known for 20 years. So it's, you know, like conventional wisdom is like, okay, you're with this person for so long, then you should be able to get over it in like this amount of months. But then when you throw in COVID on top of that, And, you know, you isolate someone. And then on top of that, it's somebody you've known for half your life. It's quite a different thing. So I feel like every time I get personal, like my fallback is yapping about that when it probably shouldn't be. But, you know, I I just have to be honest about what the booze brings out in me. I get it. And I, I, I think it is an incredibly difficult time to have to be dealing with something like that you know and uh, for me i don't know when i was and i know it's different and it's a i was i was younger and in a different place but like so when i was struggling with um my big quote-unquote big breakup uh you know this girl i dated for many years and like was pretty convinced i was gonna like marry and was really into and we kind of like didn't work out my initial thought was like, oh, okay, well, if I can, if I could be with someone for like four years and it, it doesn't pan out, then I must be just like unlovable. <laughs> you know, it's like, if someone could spend that much time with me and not find something to care about, then there must be something just wrong with me. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of turned to all of the things that you just mentioned, like going out, going to parties, like trying to meet people and like sort of validate myself in that way. And I did all of that and I did it for about a year. And the more I did it and the more I sort of like turned to that escapism, the less fulfilled I was because it wasn't solving that core issue. And honestly, at a certain point I realized it wasn't even about, her it was more about me thinking that there wasn't a path to me being happy (laughs) because that the only possible path that i saw was not accessible do you feel Um, like uh, the i and i get what you say because there is a hollowness to distraction like that but at mm. the same time do you not feel like the distractions are a necessity for at least a certain stretch of time no, no, and I'm not trying to say like nobody needs that. I'm not saying that at all. And I and I know and again, it's totally different. I wasn't going through a pandemic. I was like 20, so I had almost no responsibilities. You know what I mean? Like it was a different a totally different thing. I uh, for the sake of what's going on though, I'm just sort of sharing what I went through and where I ended up. And ultimately though, for me, the most important thing was was what I talked about in the episode earlier was just getting to a point where I realized like, Oh, this isn't really about her in some ways. This is more about me figuring out what I want and what will make me happy. And even though that sounds selfish, 
it's very important you figure that out before embarking on a relationship because your relationship is always going to be doomed if you don't believe or like yourself because how can somebody else like you if you're sort of self-sabotaging in that way you know what i mean like i, I think <laughs> that's a great I question i think it's important like and and that's not to sound callous at all <laughs> But I think that's, it's important to sort I, of I think you're entirely it. right. It also like I, it's like a punch to the gut because you know I think it cuts to the core of my problem. Um, but no, I no, I hear you. And I was doing that. Like that's where I was, and I was like, oh, I need to like give a shit about myself and actually like have some self confidence, like for me to be able to even engage with someone that would be worth engaging with. So you needed to tap in to hide just a little bit. I don't know if I would say hide, but Maybe I like how you brought it back around. <laughs> I like how you brought it back around. Maybe just a bit. Maybe a little. Bring it a full circle, Paul. Well, I think the message of the movie and of life. Oh, I love this because now it sounds like we all had a point. Um, the the message we of the movie that it, it can't our way just to this be point. one. You can't be <laughs> Jekyll or Hyde. You need to be both. You need to embody both and accept both. And when you can do that, you'll be one complete person. And that's when the conscious and the subconscious can sort of coexist and that's you can make when, the best decision for you. That's when yin and yang become one, when black and white become gray, when the two halves become whole. I, I think we did. I think we just actually did in a real commentary for a movie. Paul, <laughs> I want you to read that script that I sent to you ages ago because I totally wrestle with the same thing there. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, and I will read yours. But, no, uh, it's, in my, it's my email, and I'm a bad friend. I'm a bad friend. <laughs> no, hey, you. I sent you one script. You sent me three at some point. You know what? You you said you've had the week off or whatever. You read mine, I'll read yours. I'm just throwing okay. it out there. We'll, you know we'll... what, Jinx? I will do it. I will do it either tomorrow or the day after. I'm holding you to that, and I will read that. I, uh... I will. It, by Wednesday night, it will be read no matter what. Okay, then by Wednesday night, I, 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 will, I will have read You don't have to read three screenplays by Wednesday night, don't worry. And, I'll, I will read one. To be honest, Jigs, you don't have to read any of the shit I've sent you. I, don't I, hey, I, I, I bought your movie. <laughs> I'm not, I, I do not claim to read some great your movie writer. on you Blu-ray. I'm not going to say the name of it. You can keep it a secret if you want, but I own your film on Blu-ray. I put it out there before. I, I, yeah. How do you, because I feel like not enough people online have talked about that. I feel like if you were to tweet, not even <laughs> you, I feel like if somebody random were to tweet like, hey, by the way, at Paul is great 2000 made a movie once, people would flip out right now. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and say that on this podcast. Hey, listeners, at Paul is great 2000 made a movie once. Want to find out what it is? <laughs> Tune in next week. Oh, okay. Cliffhanger. I'll tell you what, Jinx, that can be the question you asked me in the latter half of next week's um, movie. You can ask me about that film. Would, would that bring a suitable amount of trauma, do you think? Huh? Would that, no, would that bring it? A... I'll talk about it. I don't care. <laughs> we got to figure out something. You, you, I, I will try and, holy shit, I'm tipsy as hell. I will have to figure out a suitable question next week for you, and you will have to figure out a suitable question for me yes. for that inevitable midpoint in Brides yes. of Dracula when you and I segue away from talking about the movie and segue into talking about ourselves. Love it. I'm super All right. Interested. So I think we <laughs> – I think this conversation has pretty much reached the uh, the, the what end of its course? Run it, Has it run its course? I Whatever. We're at the end. Anyway, so Paul – 
where can people find you at online? I've said it like three times in the last two minutes, you but did. just kind of answer that question for me. Exactly. <laughs> but you know what? The audience might be drinking with this. They probably need to hear it again. Where can people find you? I am at Paul is great. 2000 on yeah, Twitter. Modest. And modest, and modest. I'm very, I'm incredibly modest as, as my moniker suggests. <laughs> I don't know that Christopher Nolan would agree with your uh, your Twitter <laughs> handles. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he has every right to disagree. <laughs> all right, folks, if you want to find me, and I understand if you don't after this episode and all the previous ones that have come before, I am at Jinx1981. That is J-I-N-X-1981. You can follow Scream Addicts at, at Scream Addicts. That's S-R-S-C-R. You know what? It's fucking Scream Addicts. S-R- you can can figure it out when you're sober otherwise folks until next time thanks so much have a great weekend and we will see you with the brides of dracula paul have a great night you too sir